All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to our new series, which is yet untitled. Uh, it can't have a long working title, but uh, this is, uh, I'm probably like three recording this, maybe two or three weeks before you'll hear it. Ideally, two or three weeks. Uh, but I don't have a calendar in front of me. If you're a patron, you may be hearing this even earlier. Uh, but this new story, it's like, uh, I think the working title would be I don't know, the, the girl who was raised by, I, I don't know, I don't want to give, well, I guess it doesn't matter, it's a sleep podcast, but, uh, well, you, you like, I, I don't know, this one will have slightly more mystery, because it's, uh, it's very episodic, but it also has a through story, but a through story you're allowed to sleep to, because it's just, like, uh, it's, it's, so it's an episodic series, you can listen to them in any order, this happens to be the first one. So I have to do a little bit uh, of, uh, like, I guess, uh, pre-prep here and uh, prepare you. But it'll be a new series. It'll be a little discussion of, uh, what am I saying, discussion? Sorry, I got distracted. But each episode will be narrated by a different uh, narrator. Uh, But the protagonist protagonist will remain the same. And it should be a nice one. I, I don't know. I'm excited. Uh, I'm always excited before the first episode. Sometimes the excitement carries me through to six episodes, right around six episodes where it gets really uh, tough, uh, though sometimes it gets tough on episode two. Uh, but I have the concept. I, I kind of want to leave it a mystery because I think it'll be even. This may be our sleepiest one yet. Uh, and, uh, you know, be heavy on the sleepy imagery. Uh, so like, uh, this is our new series. I can't, I don't know what else to tell you other than to, uh, I, I don't think there'll be any Antonio Banderas, uh, like this will probably have the shortest setups, uh, uh, cause the concept, if I explained it to you, it, it, this would be the first time other than like nuns in space that, that, that one needed more to explain how I got into space with nuns in space. This isn't a nuns in space, but this one's a one sentence explanation. I mean, making sense of it, it, but you you could, you know, you're just kick back. So kick back, uh, here's how how I'll I'll do a transition, because it's always hard. The nice thing about having Antonio Banderas come in when he's available uh, is that we can do a transition. um, But kind of transition yourself. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat before, a rowboat, or a nice, like, a boat, like a... That's uh, just rocking, or just imagine yourself uh, on a dock, uh, one of those floating docks. Uh, plenty of space on all sides of you, though. Uh, floating gen- gently in the water, connected to the earth and to the ground, so not just just steps away. And maybe your feet are dangling, and you're sitting there, and the sun is shining on you. And you're kind of relaxing. And the one thing you can tell is that nice, uh, calming motion of the water. The calm, uh, barely noticeable up and down of the water as we begin our new series. So when you first came to us, you were placed in my care. And the strange thing was it wasn't because of my name but because of my gentle motion, the steady rocking, the floating, the gliding, the splash and the swish of the water, 
I've always wondered if the caretaker knew you were coming. When he repaired my pumps. When he cleaned the debris out of the canal. And then he refilled and the water began to flow. And once again it churned and churned around and around. And then he set to work repairing the first boat. And he placed it back in the water. And the caretaker got in. And he lied down in the boat as it slowly wound around. As he lay there, he almost had the same look you have on your face some nights, that peaceful look that goes across your face as the moonlight reflects in your eyes. But then he really got to work, building the rest of me back up, bushwhacking what nature had reclaimed. But just, uh, I guess, more bush-shaping than bush-whacking, bit by bit. And he made sure that your leaf was ready to cradle you, like floating on the water, holding you as some of the leaves, the real leaves in my canal, cradle those little dandelion puffs sometimes. And I began to take shape once again as I had when the guests of pass had come. Because what good is uh, Mother Goose's journey through a treasury of tales without the journey? And without the tales, I guess. Uh, and then you joined us. You came into my life, uh, into my arms in some sense, and around my arms, uh, into the boat, uh, Resting there for a time as I took care of you through the attraction and the caretaker came and you grew and the caretaker fed you and changed you and taught me how to use my tronics to do the same. And you were surrounded by these fairy tales as the guests had called them. The caretaker had put them all back together. And you would watch them, and you would listen to them, and at times I almost grew jealous of them, being able to make eye contact with you, even though it was through me, and they were a part of me. Sometimes they, I don't know, I guess it's just a, a mother goose's jealousy. And you never saw the caretaker, really, except uh, when you were really young. He wanted to stay separate from you for some reason. And so my tronics uh, would help you and hold you, and we would teach you to walk. Uh, but every night you returned to the leaf, and you floated around, uh, gently rocking, gently bobbing, winding and winding and sleeping most every night so soundly. They know the guests didn't have sleep like you did. But then the, the fretting began with the caretaker. After you learned to walk and move around, 
The caretaker seemed concerned that you wouldn't travel outside of me. You remained within my attraction. You stayed close to the winding journey of the canal. And the caretaker said, you cannot go in circles forever. And so, on those nights when you slept, uh, I began to take on the caretaker's worries, and so did the rest of the park. Uh, For the caretaker said, uh, we have a sense of purpose, and this is not it. While I am the caretaker, you are the attractions. And he said, it's time for a refurbishment, uh, Mother Goose. Hey, that's what they used to call it at these parks anyway. Sometimes the refurbishments were extreme, and sometimes they were a tune-up, the caretaker explained to me, and I kind of, my memories, I searched, and the rest of the park searched them. For how would we motivate you? Uh, and we said, to what? To what? And the caretaker said, to venture out uh, outside of you, Mother Goose, at first. And secretly, I, I know I did not want you to leave, so I may have been, uh, you know, not uh, working wholeheartedly. But you didn't seem to want to leave either. Or I argued, were, were you ready to leave? Uh, I felt like you were unaware that there was a world, a park outside of me. In the worlds, you know, within the park, is a funny thing, but... Uh, and then there was another world outside of us, outside of the park. Uh, I guess I would say a lesser world, but a world I was unaware of, except uh, through the caretaker and the guests. But we began to see what our purpose would be to get you out into the world of the park at first. And then to get you... I, I don't. I can't think any further than that. I, and even at the time, I kind of refused because I says I said... He didn't I said, could she, could she sleep here every night? Uh, and the caretaker said, I'm, I'm not sure. She'll have to decide. Uh, but, you know, and I, I was torn. I was torn. Never before. I mean, sometimes when the guests, uh, the child guests would journey, I would say they weren't half bad, but... I guess this is what the caretaker calls love, or the guests, uh, you know, or the other attractions. uh. But the caretaker said you needed to go. It was essential. And he told us to scan our memories again of guests of past and the experiences of the guests, and that could inform us of how to move forward. And so I looked on my memories, uh, of the guests from long ago and the behavior and what was underneath the behavior and how could we reshape those tales. And uh, I would listen to the caretaker thinking because they were, oh, you know, they always came to leave their world behind. That was why they were at the park, but they couldn't really leave it behind. I mean, some of them could, but most of them, they seemed to just be a temporary visitor, and they wished they could stay. I'd say it was a panoply of feelings uh, that we could sense with them and what they were telling themselves and how they were acting. Uh, I think the word was uh, preoccupied. 
but they were there to suspend the, their, their, their lives in our silly dreamlike version of the world. But I began to start to shape my themes around uh, our discussions and and say, okay, well, these were the things that the guests wanted for the guest children, the parents and the children. And it started with the Red Riding Hood uh, just setting out from a home that, w- that we said, okay, there's Red Riding Hood setting out. Uh, maybe you'll see yourself in her waving goodbye. And then the next was the Billy Goats Gruff. Uh, and we just had to change that because all of us remembered the children running and the parents and the, the workers, the hosts, uh, saying no running. And so we rearranged the Billy Goats Gruff to Billy Goats Rush. And, you know, even... The caretaker tried to record more audio for that. Uh, and then the troll was saying, no running, no running, no, no, no. And showing a scraping of the knee of one of the billy goats uh, in exchange for the running. And then we had uh, the Sleeping Beauty, which you always seemed to look curious at, uh, the hero on the horse and the prince in the sleeping beauty. Uh, but the caretaker was, because the caretaker said, what are the things are you remembering? And I said, sitting still, even in the boat, uh, in my boat, and everyone started to chime in, all the other attractions. I said, yes, sitting still. It was an essential part of being a, a guest. Uh, must have been very important for some reason out there in the larger world. Or, you know, of course, we could have said, well, maybe it was something else. Uh, but uh, And so you made, uh, uh, remade Sleeping Beauty and caused her to keep moving back and forth. And, and that it was uh, that uh, even the, the little micey poos and the, uh, the, the, the godmother and the hero on the horse saying, sit still, please, you're... Uh, Look at you, you're moving back time. I don't know, it didn't, it was a bit dreamlike. Uh, and that was a flourish uh, of the caretaker. But otherwise he said it would be too, it wouldn't make even less sense. Uh, and they said, yes, children move around a lot. I never understood why that was one of the values, to just sit still, please. Uh, I can hear it a thousand times in my ears. And then there was uh, Hansel and Gretel, uh, in their thing, and that was an easy one, uh, because we had the, the them wandering anyway, and that was another one. Uh, so instead of uh, them leaving the candy, uh, candy thing, with the, the we we had them wandering off, and uh, a nice grandmother taking the children to the park and buying them treats as guests, and then the children as we saw play out so many times, just wandering off, not paying attention. And so we worked to, to arrange uh, that scene uh, to remind you not to wander off. Uh, though in some sense we were trying to make you wander out of me, but I just remember that I was do not wander off, they would say. And it already was kind of like Hansel and Gretel, uh, 
uh, were doing that, uh, but we tried to reinforce it there. And then there was another po- important one, very important one, which which was another easy jack in the beanstalk. Uh, going where you're not allowed, where you don't belong, uh, past the signs that say do not enter. So all we had really had to do was keep it almost all the same, except for Jack getting away with the goose and the golden eggs, and Jack climbing past all the signs that say do not enter, area closed to guests. Uh, and he said that's a very good one uh, uh, for them. And then there was the, the, the cave and the genie and the lamp and... Uh, uh, a bunch of riches in gold, uh, and uh, that one we just said uh, uh, we 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 tried to uh, say, well, that, that's too expensive. That was another one. Why, like, just pick one thing, and I want, I want, I want. Uh, so we just had the genie, like a child that we could make, uh, uh, that we built, you know, a, a tronic child, obviously. And then uh, the genie shaking the genie's head. At, uh, I think they called that greed a gluttony. Uh, I want, I want, I want to just pick one thing. It's too expensive. Uh, and the, 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 the caretaker had to do those voices. And then we had the uh, the three little pigs and the uh, puppy wolf. Uh, and uh, we did that. We tried to teach you wash your hands was another one. So we just, we had to sneak that one in there. So we tried to go for two because I said, we forgot about wash your hands after you use the potty. Yeah, it's another one that no none of, the, none of the guests followed anyway, even the parents all the time. And then the idea that at some point the park must close and you must go home. Uh, and the children saying, no, 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 I do not want to leave. And this, you know, began the message we were trying to express to you, uh, that it would be time to leave and you wouldn't want to go. Uh, and the, the puppy wolf was trying to encourage the children to go, 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 leave the park. It's closed. Wash your hands and leave the park, please. Uh, three little pigs. Well, two, because one was not washing one's hands. And the other two pigs, uh, we're trying to go. We're trying to get them just to go into your house. Uh, let me blow you away from this park because it's closed and you refuse to leave. Uh, though the park is closed, we know you had a good day as a guest, but now it's time to go. And then there was a the big finale scene uh, that we had to remake, which was uh, that like everyone was happy, even the antagonists like the trolls and the puppy dog the puppy wolf uh and little red riding who was there so we said okay well she was at the beginning first leaving her home let's show her celebrating but the whole idea of the grandmother seeming essential and, and the kind of uh, uh the way things would like that like uh, we just said well how do we get this right why is everyone so happy no one seemed very happy at the park at the end of the day. A few did. A few, a few did. Uh, but we also tried to show, geez, all this running around and doing and eating and, and, and spending. Uh, so it was a kind of a, it was a kind of a little bit muddled. Uh, but we didn't know. We barely just changed it. We said that uh, 
Little Red continuing to walk off uh, and tried to make a little shrug of his shoulders uh, with the tronic. Uh, but it was not easy. And uh, we said, okay, other than that, uh, I guess that kind of makes a message. Uh, she's learned these things, and now she's walking off and leaving. And then, of course, a few of the other attractions had to butt in and say, well, I don't get this. But I said, well, this is the best we'll do. Let's see how she reacts. Uh, for we'd kept everything under tops, and you kept trying to peek a look uh, it was a good thing we planned it out ahead of time. Uh, the way I make it sound, it, it sounds like it took much longer than it did. Uh, but as soon as we revealed it to you, it was clear you did not like it at all. And at first we thought it was because we had changed things and you were so used to it. But I noticed you started to cover at the heads of the adults. And and then you started to, to, to pull the, the little billy goats and the Hansel and Gretel and Little Red out of the scenes, away from the scenes. And then you got in, into one of my leaves and you stayed for a while. Uh, and now you are old enough to move around and, and, and bathe yourself and, and get yourself water and fresh water and uh, find the food the caretaker had left for you. And even you explored cooking and figuring out how to use the uh, implements that your caretaker left behind. And you even seemed a little curious, but suddenly became listless and always tired and lying in the leaf. Uh, and of course, we were all, uh, we said, oh no, what have we done wrong? Uh, how could this have gone much worse? Uh, and all of us started to hear louder and louder the echoes of the guests in these rides. Uh, and I still to this moment do not know if they were real or recorded or just uh, echoing my memory of the whole park remembered it, even the asphalt, even the plants that had cracked up and grown through the asphalt, uh, if they retained the memories of the guests to chatter. And I guess it was a nervous chatter. And so we saw it, uh, or we assumed it, it was what was impacting you. And that the guest experiences maybe were deeper than we had known. And, and, and somehow this echo from the past was making you yeah, feel down and tired and sleepy. And so the, a few nights later... It wasn't even a decision, and as you fell into a deep sleep, we, we guess we instead of refurbishing it, we almost closed the attraction down. We removed all the tronics and all the figures, and removed all the audio. You know, some they had to say, take them, and we put them all in the old boats in storage, uh, haphazardly. So just just throw, you know, put it, put it, put the put the pigs there, put the tree, you know. It doesn't matter. Let's uh, strip the ride down. And then there was nothing to view, but still you stayed in the boat. Uh, and then the caretaker shredding exploded, as did all of ours. And we said, okay, okay. And the caretaker said, we must stop the motion of the canal next uh, and see if she sets out from it. And you didn't. And then the caretaker said, we must drain the canal then. Uh, and see uh, if that affects it. 
uh, that the lack of stimulation, maybe this is, the caretaker said, don't worry. You know, we're concerned this is good, but maybe this is pushing us uh, towards uh, something, towards a solution. Maybe this will help her leave and, you know, drive you to explore outside of me, which I did not like, but now it was in a position where I cared more for me, more for you and your, what you, I, I don't know, than what I really wanted. And sometimes you would get out and walk to, to the exit, and you did seem to grow bored from the lack of stimulation finally. But you wouldn't leave. You'd look at my exit, and you'd look at my entrance, and you you seemed to go into a stage of uh, a pouting. I think they called it as a guest or, or anger. And you would stomp your feet, and you would uh, berate the boat and tell it to move, and you would... Uh, it was like you knew I was there watching you, and you were expressing your displeasure with me. Uh, but then things changed you further. Uh, before you started in, in your uh, uh, more active mode, I guess, uh, your active displeasure, you started pulling levers and pressing buttons, and you found the, the water outlets, and you refilled the canal. And you kept testing and, and found the, the motors uh, that drove the water and started the water flowing again. And you started to explore parts of my attraction that you had never been in, the backstage. Uh, and you found the old boat storage uh, uh, filled with all the tronics and all the parts from all the scenes. And you looked on it so curious. Uh, so perplexed, and you started to see behind the magic, I guess, in some sense of what uh, made the attraction work. And now you didn't realize that the uh, I could control the tronics uh, beyond uh, the mechanisms, but you started to look at uh, where they needed to be coupled with power or where they needed to be charged. And then you found out how to set the other boats loose. The boats were still filled with the tronics in, in some of the scenes. And you set all the other boats loose into the canal. And then you found out how to regulate their release. And you seemed to be delighted. I, I don't ever recall seeing you clap before. But as a boat just piled full of, uh, uh, you know, red and a troll into some plastic flowers, you would clap and laugh and run alongside it. And we were all perplexed, and you did this for days and days and days and jumped in and out of boats. And you went from being like a child of the winter, uh, resting and hibernating like some of our unpaid guests do, the mammals, uh, uh, to frolicking with the bees of the spring. I, I don't mean to jump too much into Mother Na Nature for a mother goose, but you watched and you watched and you pondered and you raced and then you started to ponder the layout of the canal and then you began to pull out tronics and you began to pull out the scenes and place them in places and Finally, when all you had emptied all of the boats, uh, you started to, to, to 
to design, I guess, so to refurbish me. And looking back just now, I think you were some sense, maybe you didn't even know it, preparing me. For now you were handling me in this new way. We had this new connection that I didn't even realize at the time how wonderful it felt uh, to have you actively participating with me, to have you shaping me. It felt different than the caretaker's attention, but similar, and I felt suddenly alive, I guess, in a new way, and important. Uh, and it was different to have your attention. I guess I was your caretaker for a while, and I drove, drove, drove pleasure from that, uh, or happiness, or whatever the guests call it, uh, but now it was something new, like you were interested in me in this new, new, deeper way. And deeper you did, because you started to arrange things in a way that uh, even the designers never did. And you set up a scene with the puppy wolves and the troll and the pigs. Uh, and then in the cave, you even found a way to make it with the boat... Uh, Stop for a moment in the cave uh, by putting stuff under the water uh, that would slow the boat down until the current built up behind it. Uh, and you removed the lights from the cave and you placed some of the sound boxes within the cave and hooked in some red lights. So it was a strange uh, thing. I, I still didn't know what you were doing. And then you hit a lot of the humans and uh, the heroes uh, and the heroines and, and towards the end of the ride, but back in the brush. Uh, I said, what is she up to? And, and, and some of the other attractions were worried, uh, uh, but they couldn't feel the palpable level uh, of feelings that I was unfamiliar with uh, that were uh, emanating from you. And then I started to see, for you took uh, three boats, uh, and you took the rest out of operation, as they say. And in each boat, you placed a goat, uh, the smallest goat, uh, the medium goat, and the biggest goat. And you made them look, uh, even though they were already siblings, you kind of reshaped their eyes and things, so they looked even more... A bit like you now, I could say. And then I watched as you watched, and you watched the timing. And then you waited at that first scene with the strange puppy woes and the troll and the pigs. And you waited for that littlest goat, uh, which you had wrapped up or swaddled in a blanket in the leaf boat. Uh, and you jumped in the boat with it. And you made sure his eyes were seeing the uh, the figures, the tronics moving. And you held that uh, little baby goat. Uh, you cuddled it, you patted it, uh, and you calmed it. Uh, and you spoke to it in this soothing way that I always wished I had learned. And now, if I have another guest, I know I have learned it from you how to do this. Uh, a calm reassurance, uh, 
saying, it's okay, it's okay. And then more, you started uh, touching your chest and in the baby goat's chest and then pointing at them and saying that you were the same and showing the sign of a beating heart. Uh, uh, I said, what is she teaching? Oh, I, I, I understand, but I don't have words for it. And then you went on to the cave and waited for the second, the medium-sized goat. Uh, and you jumped in the boat with that goat as it headed into the cave. And then the boat paused in the darkness with the flickering red lights and the strange echoes from the speakers. And I didn't even realize that you had hidden uh, signs and things on the walls to look at. Uh, until you showed the goat, you said, okay, yes, it's dark, but let your eyes adjust. Uh, and you pointed at the little uh, things you had drawn, uh, smiling faces and, and dancing goats, uh, that you just had to pause and look in the darkness to see. And that the flickering red lights weren't there. Well, at first, I guess I, I guess I'm saying this is what I saw when I watched that goat. Uh, said, "Oh dear," but then you could see that the flickers were helping you see the different paintings you made, and uh, that it was something to be interested in uh, instead of apprehensive about. I couldn't oh. And then you had the the biggest goat, which was about your size, and which then I began to understand. And that goat, you took an active thing in, uh, riding it through the woods and the bushes and the palms where you had hidden the humans and their eyes all watching. And then you took the goat out and you would walk it along the path where you had more uh, of the princess and the princesses and things, uh, smiling and waving, and, and and then you would just leave the goat there. And then I watched as you moved the goat closer, and I now I knew that the goat was headed towards the exit, uh, and you would have the goat go back and look at the people and look at the exit and look at the park, uh, in question and, and sniffed them and you would even rub against them you and the goat uh, uh, like who are you what is this place what is out there and then you would have the goat sleep with them and it was like oh this, I began to sense this yearning to, to be with the guests uh, as I had yearned for you to stay with me forever and I even heard you talking of uh, building this, what is this, you know. I heard all of that. Uh, and then you moved more and more of these uh, uh, remade electronics into guests, uh, lining the path towards the exit, changing their faces to even bigger smiles, uh, and uh, with open palms holding out... Uh, leading the way, or, or finally a few of them walking out the exit, holding the hands back towards that goat. And then I began, 
to see little goat tracks uh, that you were painting somehow leading right up to my exit. I didn't know when I would not have seen you painting these. And then I saw them cross over uh, that line. Uh, And each night the uh, the steps uh, uh, grew uh, till you know out of the line of my exit to out of my queue the exit queue and then one morning i saw them trail off into the park uh, beyond where i could see and then I, I don't know how you had found it and you would revisit the other things but you found a second baby goat uh, and you set it with two feet in my attraction and two feet out, uh, and it was a leaving. It was a walking out of me uh, into the park, uh, and and then I realized I hadn't seen the caretaker in some time. Uh, though uh, some food had been dropped off and hidden uh, where you did your cooking. I found myself remembering uh, a look on a lot of the guests' face, uh, which now I could say is like a forlorn pride that they would shift uncomfortable in the seats of the boat or in the line or as they're boarding the boat. I don't know how else to describe that look on their face, uh, almost the hackles on their skin, but that would indicate it was a bad thing and not uh, both bad and good or neither. But that feeling of forlorn pride when a child would say, that's okay, I can get in by myself or I'll ride by myself or look at what I've done, uh... Because uh, that's how I felt uh, when I knew you had exited my ride. Uh, I felt just like those guests looking on their children as I knew you had moved on to where you needed to go. To the next attraction, uh, which I guess was already being prepared or trying to prepare itself for you, uh, for whatever... Uh, you need, but I'll be here, my leaf will be here, and I'll be telling the tale you designed until you return. But my water will be waiting, my water will be swishing, it will be meandering in the turns and around and around with comforting motion And I will comfort the goats in your stead uh, when they face uh, what they think are trolls and pigs and puppy wolves or dark uh, uh, sparkling caves or unsure whom and who uh, the makers are. I will be here waiting for you and in your stead uh, uh, gently it gently flowing as i say wherever you are now good night 
Uh, hey, everybody, welcome to our newest uh, series as I record this yet unnamed. But by the time you listen, it'll probably have a name for the series, but it's episodic. Uh, though it does have, uh, like, uh, well, it's episodic. You can listen to it in any order, and uh, it's more, it is a grounded series, but uh, the way I'm delivering it is, I guess, uh, well, we'll see how surreal it is. So, so I really don't want to do any setup uh, of the story or the characters. Uh, but I do want to do some sort of transition, you know, to help you uh, ease into it and, 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 and stay asleep or drift to sleep at your leisure. And so this uh, for this episode, I'm going to use uh, a, an entry from Wikipedia as a transition, which will... Uh, do some set set place place setting yeah, if you're listening start to finish or if you're drifting off it should help too yeah, so i'll be quoting and paraphrasing from a wikipedia article titled pretzel amusement ride company which was a famous manufacturer of pretzel dark rides uh, they built over 1400 pretzel rides and sold them to carnivals and parks it was uh, the pretzel ride was invented by Marvin Rempfer. Uh, Leon Cassidy was Marvin's partner in the Pretzel Ride Amusement Company, and both names are on the patent. Uh, Leon Cassidy patented the single rail dark ride in 1928 along with Marvin Rempfer. And the company originated in Tumbling Dam Park on the banks of Sunset Lake in Bridgeton, New Jersey. A uh, rioter said, I felt like I was twisted and turned like a pretzel, and so the name pretzel was chosen. A large, heavy pretzel design was originally fixed to the front of each car to pre- prevent the car from tipping back. Uh, in 1929, a standard pretzel ride had five cars, 300 feet of track, and was one and a half minutes per ride, and uh, sold a presumably wholesale for $1,200. Uh, portable rides weighed about nine tons and, you know, were moved by big vans. Uh, for a while, they were single stories, but in the late 50s, they started making double-decker two-story rides. Uh, Leon Cassidy was not a fan of the double-decker. He was wrong, though, of course. Uh, there was a ride called uh, the Mad Giant, which was it weighed 17 tons and took five hours to set up. Uh, Pretzel also made spinning rides, including one for Coney Island. Uh, many of the rides were themed. Uh, a few were uh, Pretzel Ride, uh, The Caveman Casper House, Lost Mind, Gold Nugget, Thunderbird, Junior Drive, Junior Ride, Tunerville Trolley, Whirlow, Kitty Circus, uh, Pirate's Cove, uh, or other names, uh, Winter Wonderland, uh, Laugh in the Dark, uh, Laugh in the Dark with Spinning Cards, Laugh Land, Pirate's Cave, Pirate's Den, uh, Paris After Dark, uh, uh, Casper's Funland, Treasure Island, uh, tre- like uh, Big Farmarama, Lake Hachot, uh, Safari, Zoomerang, and uh, like uh, one of them, which is in Pennsylvania, was built in 27 and was the oldest uh, dark ride until it was lost in 2004. And there are some, including one at Sylvan Beach, which I didn't know about, so I'll be going there this summer for sure to check that out. Conanut Lake Park adds one. Camden Park, 
And there's also this website called uh, uh, Laugh Something, uh, which I'll try to link to that has a lot of stuff. Uh, so that is the history of the pretzel ride. When you first came to me, you were already strong and focused after spending uh, seemingly a long time in the Teenage Ninja Adventures. You were still little, but you were hard on the outside. But on the inside, you were a bit like me. Yeah, but different in some ways, since I was relegated to the classic uh, section of the park uh, that had closed down long before the park did. It was a place we restored or used when we were needed. In fact, uh, before uh, things changed, uh, they had uh, taken out uh, the second half of my traction and were going uh, to refurbish me uh, for the Halloween fun times at the park. So here I sit, a pretzel dark ride, without darkness uh, right now, or when you arrived during the day, my roof exposed to, to the sky, my insides uh, barren mostly of attractions and almost empty, uh, covered over, but really exposed. Uh, because the reality was they didn't ever have any real depth uh, other than the psychedelic tunnel. It was just uh, uh, curtains and turns. Uh, but then I was uh, tasked with helping you. I knew the caretaker had already started working on my mechanics, uh, but I wasn't sure why or what I could offer you. Uh, you came to me. And I was, I'm just a shell. I'd always been just a shell to fill up with little things. Uh, an empty hollow pretzel, with, you know, like the guests would eat, but without any cheese on the inside. That's what I meant. Maybe you were a bit like that, too. Hard on the outside. Uh, I, I thought to the caretaker, why bother fixing me up? Uh, I'm old. I've been retired and... My shattered refurbishment is gone. I'd heard of you. You know, the caretaker would talk with pride in, in their eyes, uh, talking about you. And uh, I heard others uh, speak of you. And I knew uh, some of the mammals uh, that took up residence inside me in place of the guests. Uh, they were always curious about you. But, you know, I didn't even really have any buzzers left or lights uh, to light up. Uh, and even when I did, it was good for a one-time surprise. Uh, for a first-time audience or a child or, you know, people looking for a thrill. Uh, but I didn't have very rideability, you know, except for kids uh and ride all you want day, trying to outright, oh, I'm going to ride it 50 times. Well, I'll ride it 51 times. Uh, it was a one-trick pony, I think is what they call it. But you're here, and when you arrived, you didn't really seem to understand any of that. Or 
or even process it. And I realized you're not a guest uh, from the old world. Uh, and you didn't understand uh, what uh, even my scenes were supposed to be. And the difference between the dark side of the moon ride in uh, the uh, all hollow surprise time fun ride they were going to make me into. I wasn't even sure if you knew what the dark side of the moon even meant or even referenced uh, or where it originated or how it changed uh, uh, from the 50s uh, in the remnants that remained and then yeah, with the uh, album that was introduced uh, in my psychedelic tunnel. Uh, you know, some kids at the, my heyday, they would ride and re-ride uh, uh, as they smoked or laughed and giggled and pointed and cracked up and or stared slack-jawed. Uh, and I knew what they were up to. A lot of them worked at the park, uh, uh, but it's confusing even to me. Why are we still here? Uh, just uh, for you, there's no like, uh, there's no offense. I was asking myself that question when I was a classic ride, and then when I was closed uh, for maintenance or whatever they said. And I wish I could explain to you, to sit with you, to use words, uh, to say what it looked like. Uh, when, when it did, uh, I could see sometimes what the kids were laughing at uh, when they tried to mesh uh, two different things together. It never made any sense, uh, but none of them cared because they couldn't see the curtains and the simplicity that you saw when you arrived to the emptiness, uh, really. And I remember your first walk through, uh, balancing on the rails uh, with your ninja balance and your ninja jumps, uh, whatever you brought uh, from your time in that mountainous ride. Uh, but I also remember the curious, uh, confused look in your eye. As the daylight streamed through my holes and the, the little different families of birds and uh, friendly forest mammals uh, curled up in their nests in the corners. And then when you finally switched on the mechanics and put me in operation or the cars in operation and you rode uh, up my small lift hill. And out the door, uh, yeah, for a little peek outside, uh, which, uh, was always a way they, they made people say, Hey, come ride the ride. Those people up there, uh, they're on the second floor outside that school. They're having fun. I don't know. You just looked, uh, and then that's when my little tiny descent hill came and, uh, picked up momentum. And then you went through my two sets of doors uh, that, for some reason, the caretaker had made sure were were made with new wood or rebuilt, uh, repaired. Uh, even though the old fainted panels, he still kept on there. And then you were in the, the dark ride, which was a bit silly for both of us because it wasn't dark in there. 
Even that day, it was a little bit cloudy. But you just looked on at some tattered curtains and, you know, some chicken wire and uh, faded wood boxes, uh, empty light bulbs and sound effect, uh, mechanical sound effects, uh, uh, long since missing parts or uh, rusted uh, stock. And you seemed uh, a bit perplexed. Uh, but uh, then you went to work, uh, sweeping and basic maintenance, uh, and you put on some gloves, which was surprising. I said, what did they teach you? They taught you to, where did they teach you to wear those gloves in the Ninja Adventures? Uh, and you moved the birds' nests and the, and the piles of uh, the twigs and paper and all the little things, and you gently moved it all out and underneath the ride uh, where uh, uh, they could relocate, I guess, in your opinion, and you cleaned and you washed uh, and you patched my floor. My floor was never strong enough. I never had the foundation for real tronics. Uh, you know, only lightweight uh, paper mache or rubber on chicken wire and then it rained for a few days and uh, since you were living with me you went to work on the roof as soon as the rain passed uh looking at the other classic rides roofs i said well, she's no roofer uh wonder why the caretaker's not doing anything but you seem to figure it out uh with the tin and the plastic roofs on the other rides, and you requisitioned some from uh, different stands, and you worked hard, uh, not only making me waterproof, but as uh, soon you found it, uh, it did make me a little bit darker inside, and and then you installed a few light bulbs, and I guess the caretaker had rewired things. Uh, because the light bulbs worked. And somehow you found uh, pictures of the ride uh, somewhere in the maintenance area. You were really, I guess you'd never chewed gum before, because my gum wall on the uh, on the uh, lift hill where the ride would go up to the second floor, all along that, uh, for decades and decades, uh, children... In teens and adults and grandparents, uh, were pressed to their gum against me. And it kind of made sense, uh, cause their gum, uh, was against, uh, the backdrop of a lift hill for a rocket into space, uh, which was the theme of my ride. And each piece of gum was like a star in the sky. And, uh, you know, when they main maintained the ride, they painted around the gum and or painted over it and then painted it white. Uh, and you figured that out and you started to work on that. Uh, and there was a lot of day glow colors, which I don't know if you had seen before, uh, uh, punctuating the night sky and the white stars. uh it was the day glow neon of uh, 
you know, a moon launch uh, pad and an advanced Earth uh, that never ended up existing except in the minds of uh, yeah, the people at the Pretzel who designed Corporation. Uh, but you worked on my lift hill and made these day-glow rocket blasts as we got towards, uh, and you colored in the numbers. I don't even know if you knew what uh, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, uh, any of those things even meant. Uh, and then you figured out how well, the theming went as you went outside, that you were launched off, uh, but that somehow... Uh, and this part was never clear to almost any guess, uh, that the descent hill uh, was where you were supposed to touch down uh, because we didn't have uh, audio. Uh, they did put it in occasionally, but it was mostly they were using the copyrighted music uh, from the band and most of the time. I think there they might have used something not even from a Pink Floyd song. And then they would get shut down. But that was supposed to be the transition where your rocket was supposed to land on the light side of the moon. But then in the descent, uh, like because the first set of doors looked like a blast. Uh, and then the second set of doors was supposed to look like a crater, a day-glow crater, that you'd crash on the dark side of the moon. And you went along with it, uh, week after week, painting and progressing uh, down the lift hill. And I said, this is a refurbishment I've always dreamed of. But again, I, the other side of me said, why? why? Uh, maybe you're going to be a good painter. How does that help you in our current circumstances at all? If I could have spoke, I would have told the caretaker to just take you back to the ninja adventures. Uh, or, you know, the wilderness, uh, like a campfire thing. I don't even know what those rides were on the western end of the park, but uh, we could learn some real skills. Nobody's going to be painting a ride anymore, but you were focused. Uh, and you even worked on uh, the gantry uh, mural and all that on the front of the ride for a while. And. You did your best. I guess uh, you were good at painting. Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, like I care about you, but I don't think you're going to be a, a space artist. Uh, but you got the point of the ride. Uh, and then you started to work on the other parts of the beginning of the ride. Uh, like uh, uh, the the sound effects, uh, like the klaxon horn. Uh, uh, that was you when you when you first uh, swung around the corner from the lift hill outside, and then when you go through the second set of doors, it was just a box with ball bearings that would tilt and tilt back uh, uh, to make a sound effect, uh, and the little bump in the track uh, to say, "Oh no, I've landed on the dark side of the moon." Uh, if I'd ever gotten a full I guess it would have to have been a different ride, but uh, you seemed to uh, believe in the story, I guess, or maybe I just was over-investing in uh, how dedicated you were. And then you worked on the first uh, turn, 
uh, the first turn right, uh, which was supposed to be a view around uh, like with all these craters, uh, uh, paper mache craters, which uh, somehow you learned uh, to do, and all those uh, supplies, I guess, had been kept. Uh, and you even worked on the mechanics and even parts of the uh, little moon moon persons uh, that were supposed to pop out of the craters and surprise you on the ride. Uh, and uh, it was cute. Uh, it was really funny to see them. Uh, not all of them would pop up. Uh, and they were supposed to turn their lights on and off, and you started to look for the lights. Uh, and it was weird that my ride had had a mix of, because of the, you know, the Pink Floyd side of the dark side of the moon, the fluorescence and the incandescence. But you found some of the screw-in light bulbs that were supposed to light up the little moon people. And then it was a weird strobe, and that's when things started. Like, uh, and above the car, we had a cawing bird sound effect and a strobe that revealed a, a giant moon bird uh, flying at the ride. And then another turn to the left, uh, where another moon bird. Uh, was saying, here's my beak, I'm going to try to, you know, and you worked on all of that. Uh, and then a turn back uh, the other way, and uh, there was a weird waterfall effect that wasn't working. Uh, and I think it, originally the way it was lit, it was supposed to be moon lava, even though it was just water lit. And uh, with the effect of, uh, I think it was plastic underneath that one you left uh, to be perplexed you. And then another turn to the side, uh, it was a little box uh, that had, it was supposed to have three little eggs in it. Uh, it took you a while to figure that one out, uh, but you figured it out from the pictures and that the uh, eggs would poke up and it'd be little uh, moonbird babies. Uh, and it, instead of a quick, 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 it was just a bell, ding, 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 ding. And that they were supposed to have moon eyes, but they were also kind of supposed to put you at an ease. Because uh, uh, then when you turned back, it was like a furry purple uh, uh, moon bear, I think we call it. We didn't call it that, but I think that's what I do call it now. And there was some fur left. Uh, and you were able to salvage some other fur. It didn't look the same. It looked very snuggable when uh, in purple. And that would crack people up because it looked like it was smiling. And it had a horn with a psychedelic painting uh, on it. Uh, uh, but you worked on that for a while and you made the best of that. Uh, and then you're supposed to turn back again and... Uh, we had, like, hanging in the original ride. It was all hanging from string in rubber bands. And even some that would swing back and forth. But this was always a debate with the ride at the park. It was like, because people were always trying to grab. Uh, yeah, these weren't mer moon birds, uh, but they were kind of moon pests uh, uh, flying around and bugging you. And... Uh, 
uh, there was like right after that, uh, there was just like a symbol. And then you went into a part of the ride where, uh, uh, then it was dark and then there was a vibrating part that made your car vibrate. And then there was a, like a special effect, uh, uh, which was kind of the best on the ride, uh, which is supposed to be a waving space person saying, Hey, over here, I know that weird stuff just happened, but I'm a space person over here. And, uh, it was just wood, uh, but it was brilliantly designed that, uh, then the light would go out and then the spaceman would, it was a flat piece of two dimensional wood and then it would turn around and, uh, yeah, then you would see like uh, that it wasn't, it was like a, it was not a space person or it was a space person, but they weren't uh, like it was, it looked like originally like one of your astronaut friends. Uh, but when it flipped, it was clearly not an astronaut friend. And you painted all that and then the, uh, that was it uh, for the ride. The rest had been pulled out permanently. Uh, and I don't know, tossed away. And you worked so hard, and 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 then you got obsessed with making the ride dark as possible. And then you stumbled on the black lights, uh, and you must have been digging as you're through uh, one of the old storage containers, uh, looking for more supplies, probably for more fur for the moon bear. Uh, but when you found those. Uh, uh, black lights, and you really got into uh, making that ride as dark as possible. You were mesmerized, uh, and once you got it really dark, you would ride in there, and you kind of looked like uh, some of those kids in the 70s and the 80s, uh, their eyes beady and red or wide and red. I can never remember. Some were, I think some were one and some were the other. Uh, drooling and giggling and pointing and uh, saying ridiculous things. Uh, and that's when you finally made sense at the end of the ride, the psychedelic tunnel. Uh, you said, oh, okay. And the caretaker had been working on the mechanics of that, so all you needed to do was start it up, and it started to spin, and with the black lights installed and... You got it without, uh, it still held up some of its strange, uh, the way it would spin as the car went through and, and you repainted it and it was, uh, it was out there, man, as the kids used to say back then. And then I watched you and how you would watch the different moon, uh, things. And then at night you would sit out and look at the real moon and, I, 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 I guess I didn't really put a meaning to what you were doing uh, until later. In my second half, uh, other than the tunnel remained empty, and you'd have to occasionally uh, uh, move out the birds and the mammals and put them back underneath the ride, and you're always patient and kind with that. Uh, but you uh, would stare at the moon, and, and then you would uh, work on the moon that was on the front of the ride. Uh, they had both a realistic painting you had worked on, and then a silly winking moon, uh, half light, half dark. Uh, 
which was a stolen image from a movie with uh, space, uh, the rocket in its winking eye. Uh, but you seemed entranced. Uh, and at some point you started uh, poking holes in the ride, in the roof, uh, on my empty side, uh, the side you weren't living on anymore anyway. And then sitting in there during the day, Everything you had made super dark, so I wondered why. Uh, and then you started working on the roof and replacing tin with plastic and putting a clear plastic or faded plastic and playing with some of the mirror effects. I don't know if you learned that in the Teenage Ninja Ride or where, but in is sitting in there during the day and sitting in there during the night and in the full moon and on cloudy days and uh, writing things down and marking the floor and riding the ride over and over again. And it was mysterious to me what you were doing. And then I saw you looking at the motor that ran the whole ride and finding a setting that moved it down to a much slower speed. And I don't know, at some point it also clicked for me when you would work in the darkness of the ride and you would come out into the light of the day and you would just lie there basking in the full sunlight, uh, I said, wait a second, is this some sort of dark side of the moon, light side of the moon thing you're doing? But you seemed like you took the strange premise uh, and took it even further. For you just, you simply took my darkness and the light and, and the way the light changes from day to night and in the way you could just see some light in the distance and not know how far it is or where it is, or is that even light? And at this point, the ride was moving so slow in super maintenance mode. It almost a crawl, uh, a chug, and you would sit there, and I knew you were seeing beyond what was there just because of the lack of light and then the few pinpricks of light or and a cloudy day the way the light would constantly be changing or where the sun was in the sky uh, how it could only be let in I don't know I didn't even understand what you did with the mirrors and things but uh I was like she's looking not at the ride, but it's something beyond I assumed is something into your dreams. Uh, your eyes were wide, wide open, looking at these tiny points of light, uh and the way you would paint them and uh and sometimes you'd be in there viewing whatever it was, your dreams or your imagination, and I'd see you flinch, uh or I'd see you laugh, or I'd see you reach out, uh, and I, I, I was mesmerized, I guess, too, and, you know, for a while you kept designing and testing out painting and, and things, uh, but then the storm came through, and we couldn't have expected that, uh, 
but it took the whole roof uh, right off of me, and you huddled there uh, in one of the cars underneath the lift hill. And then finally you had to crawl underneath and shelter with all the all the little mammal friends down there. And you saw all their little uh, nests underneath the ride. And you saw their eyes in the light of the storm. Uh, but the storm passed and you surveyed what had happened. My roof was gone, your imaginary playland... Uh, you know, it would take a long time, I guess, to, to rebuild that. And a lot of the dark side of the moon stuff, the paintings remained, but uh, a lot of the paper mache, uh, it was uh, not lost, but uh, all your painting and forming little bird heads and those things and uh, uh, little craters, uh it wasn't the same. Yeah, the psychedelic tunnel was fine because it was, you know, uh, it was a tunnel. Uh, probably could have stayed in there for the storm. And you looked over everything, and then you went back to work on the roof, uh, uh, fixing it and reinforcing it uh, instead of designing it. And you kind of seemed a little bit furious, uh, both with yourself and with the roof uh, and with the storm, maybe even with me, uh, for the roof uh, blowing away. Uh, but you seem to have a different intention anyway. Uh, you're hammering and you're screwing and you used everything on that roof, duct tape. Uh, and you got it really secure. And once you felt like it was uh, almost airtight, uh, I said, what's she going to do now? What What is the next, uh, what's going to happen here? Uh, then you set out, you started setting out your food and, and hiding and waiting for the mammals to, to return and the birds to return and leading them to nest in the paper mache uh, craters and in the heads of uh, paper mache birds, which is funny to me. Uh, birds nesting in baby bird bird eggs uh, from the from the dark side of the moon, uh, and you let the animals reclaim the ride. Uh, and you painted over the paper mache that was left because uh, uh, they had gotten kind of used to you. Well, you didn't overfeed them. You just used it to lure them, so they still had to forage on their own. And the mammals uh, kind of took their place uh, back there. And then you went to work on the waterfall of all things, uh, and you finally, uh, I don't think you ever could figure out the fact that made it look like red lava. Uh, but you figured out how to hook it up uh, 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 to one of the cisterns that held the rainwater. And how to turn it on. And then, and then you found a water pump. Uh, and I think you knew if you left it out, the caretaker would do that type of repair. Uh, you got the water pump moving, and 
It created a little waterfall loop with a cistern, and uh, soon the mammals were checking it out and playing in the pool at the bottom of the waterfall. It was a, you know, burden little mammal bath uh, that they would uh, jump in and jump out of, and and then you kind of uh, created some more divots uh, inside me. On my floor, it was already metal anyway, and it had some divots. Uh, created a couple more little water places for water to pool, uh, but also to drain back out. I said, where'd she learn this? Uh, putting a hole in my bottom and a bigger hole in my top. So when it rained, uh, uh, these little ponds would fill up, uh, but they wouldn't always be stagnant. Uh, and then you moved any things into my vacant side too, uh, not as designed, uh, but placed uh, so that more forest friends could go in there. And then it was funny you had a failed attempt. I think after being under me and seeing uh, uh, you, you wanted to try to train train the animals to go and use the cars as restrooms. Uh, uh, because you found the trick where if you removed the pretzel, the ride would tilt right after the hill. And you said, oh, that's like some sort of self-cleaning animal uh, bathroom. Uh, but none of them ever took you up on that offer. Yeah, you think the rumbling and the rambling of the ride, uh, uh, you know, they would tolerate it uh, when the ride rambled through and... And then you would ride through slowly and watch them. But they didn't catch your attention quite like the work did. And you made a few more tweaks and uh, made sure that there was no easy way for anything bigger than a small mammal to get in the ride. I watched you do that. Uh, and I said, "How does she? where did she know this about, uh, you know, other friends that wander the park? Uh, you know, that, uh, see our little mammal friends as little morsels, uh, you made it so they couldn't really get into the ride, but the little mammal friends could, and our little birds could fly in through some holes, uh, in the top side. And I watched as you, at some point you knew uh, that you were done, and I didn't realize it, but, uh, that you had, a uh, uh, refilled me in some sense that I wasn't empty, and I guess I never really was. I I was just kind of down on the fact that uh, I guess because it was an unintentional, I was in an unintentional habitat. Uh, but now that you had kind of tweaked it and and given the animals for freedom to, you know, whatever burrow where they wished, uh, I was. Uh, I was there. I guess I had a purpose, uh, and I don't know if I did any service uh, to you. Uh, I mean, I would hope that maybe it was that steely look in your eye uh, where you were focused on the task at hand, uh, and you seemed to be both working and taking pleasure at the same time, and and recrafting me, rebuilding me, and 
uh, that that carries you somewhere. And I would hope that you feel uh, some cheese inside or whatever you wish to call it, uh, like I do now, that uh, by uh, helping me host these uh, friends, uh, that it helps you host something inside of you too, that you're not just hard on the outside like a teenage ninja. Because I don't even think you're a teenager yet. Uh, but I knew... It was time for you to go, and you walked around and walked the track and balanced it again. You stood in the psychedelic tunnel, and and then you lied down and uh, stayed there for most of the day. And I guess you were called on to somewhere else. Uh, but I wanted you to remember that, uh, that you helped me, and ideally I helped you. And, you know, mammals and birds don't thank uh, people, uh, guests or hosts, uh, but I know they're happy now. So uh, I hope you uh, come visit uh, someday and just check in. I know you have. Uh, you try to act like you're just walking by, uh, but thank you. Uh, when you first came and you entered my long, long hallways, it wasn't the size that surprised you. It was the fact that they were so dry and so clean that the rugs were still intact, uh, that even the dust had continued to be filtered out, though not all of it. And you walked up and down those hallways in amazement. Uh, and I, I couldn't tell if you were happy or, or displeased. Uh, and then you found your way into the cavernous ride room with the giant uh, superstructure. And you could say that that room was uh, the size of an airplane hangar. And I guess you'd kind of be partially right. Uh, it's more like a gliding uh, simulator hangar. But still, you walked around every inch of the floor uh, over the first couple of days, just looking. And, and, and I couldn't help it. You know, my building was more or less hermetically sealed. And uh, I guess we were well built uh, to keep things going for the guests. Uh, but then you seem to grow more comfortable with the, the dry, clean conditions. And I thought it was funny you decided to sleep in the hall. I don't know if it was the carpet or the fact that you could get up against one of the walls uh, in my queue of all things where people would stand and wait in long, long lines uh, for hours in my lines. And they would play games on what now were blank walls, uh, interactive uh, video games, they called them, or group games. But the walls were blank uh, because all of that was just a projection. 
And I, I guess I didn't even realize it till you came how little signage I had that was not projections and the projectors were off. Uh, I didn't know what worked and what didn't work. But none of that seemed to interest you. You seem to be most interested in continuing your physical conditioning. And I guess I was perfect for that, because uh, you could run up and down the halls, uh, back and forth, uh, maintaining a nice pace. And, and then you could climb in my superstructure, climb up and climb down and swing from one side to the other. You know, the ride was kind of uh, stuck in place in, in, in the, uh, in the simulator mode, not in the loading mode. But that meant it gave you plenty of place. I, I thought, I said, is, is she having fun? Is she adventuring or is she just working? But you didn't seem particularly interested in what my ride was or what it was I did. You just seemed intent on getting stronger. And getting good sleep, I enjoyed watching over you. It curled up against the wall of the queue. You know, sometimes you'd change spots. I never knew if, why you did that. If there was, I said, I don't think there's any drafts. Uh, uh, but maybe that was just uh, some sort of uh, ritual you had. But part of me did find it delightful that because there was no signage, you really had no idea what those guests were always waiting in line for. Now where you slept, uh, how they would stand and chit-chat. Some would play games on their phone. Uh, some would be distracted by their phones. Uh, some people would have uh, genuine conversations. A lot of planning went on, and then at some point the waits became long enough where they installed the uh, the, the, the queue games uh, for them to play. But you had no idea what they were waiting for. Uh, you had no idea who I was, really. That all the guests were waiting for their chance to go gliding, or gliding, as the sign really said. And there you were, climbing up and down their gliders. Uh, and because uh, the screen, I guess, to you, I always thought it looked like the inside of an egg when I would hear guests uh, talking about eggs. Uh, I heard some guests describe it that way. But then I listened in more detail, and I said, maybe my screen does look like the inside of an egg. But there you were. Uh, conditioning yourself, climbing up and down my gliders, uh, thinking they were girders, but the gliders are held in place by girders, uh, stacked three high, 60 feet up. Uh, and none of that seemed to phase you at all. But then there was that fateful day uh, when you kind of figured it out and you just plopped your butt right into the seat, uh, or maybe you had figured it out earlier, but you didn't have time to stop with your conditioning. But you sat in one of the seats of the top of the glider. You caught your breath, and the sweat trickled down your brow. And then you started playing with the seatbelt. Uh, 
it only took a few pulls till you got it uh, to work and you got it uh, and it clicked into place and when it did I saw your eyes react almost immediately as the belt across your lap uh, became secure and because the ride was already in motion position uh the belt uh, was uh, secure. And I, I don't know if this is a moment you'll, uh, you'll look back on and think that things changed for you. But I saw time slow down as I observed your face and your reaction. Because there you were, uh, with the belt across your lap, and you went through... Many reactions uh, that would have been natural, thinking, oh, how, at first you pulled, and then you wiggled. But, uh, you know, your first efforts were more of a reaction, uh, more of a, okay, this isn't, this, this, uh, they called them seatbelts, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. I, I know you probably didn't. Maybe you did, though. It's a belt that goes across your seat. I guess it's a lap belt, and I think maybe that is what they call them. But here you were, uh, uh, you know, I guess part of the ride at this point, you were latched in. And while it was only a few minutes, I know it was a trying few minutes on you, uh, when you were just reacting to thinking you were stuck there. And I think it changed our relationship a bit, or maybe your relationship. Maybe it awakened something in you you hadn't been thinking about. But eventually you wriggled out. You said, oh, wait a second. If I just squeeze my hips back here, and you were able to reach above you, and, you know, I guess like a twist and turn, whatever, the, what do they call that, your hips or your pelvis, uh, and you got the belt off, and you slowly squeezed out, and you're fine. But you wouldn't buckle the belt ever again. I know, I know that much. But it did get your attention too about me and who I was. Uh, your heart was still beating after those moments of being uh, uh, stuck with the belt, and you even sat in the seat next to it, uh, and you looked accusingly at that belt. Uh, but then you really looked at the screen, and you looked at all of the seats uh, facing forward, facing the screen. And I guess you let your uh, your heart rate return to normal. Those up about when you were sprint, just like when you were sprinting up and down the halls, uh, but a different uh, kind of fast beat, a uh, connection to something beyond uh, physical conditioning. I also think there was an element of the sterility of me, uh, the fact that I hadn't been touched by the outside, but that I really it was empty in a way with no projections. It was just a simple, basic uh, thing. I don't think you, you liked that either. Maybe that was something you noticed when you were sitting with the seatbelt across your lap. But I also think it was something you were feeling with me, my emptiness and my blankness, uh, maybe something more ominous that you had held at bay because you've been alone for so long. 
I don't know if you had felt uh, alone before. And how would you even, I don't understand how you could even contextualize that, but somehow you did. Or maybe, maybe I'm projecting, I don't know. Because all of it was just uh, flashing across your face. So it, it kind of made sense as you set out, uh, as you set out to figure out what my ride was. Finally, I said, well, put aside the running and the conditioning, but you more scheduled it, uh, and eventually you found uh, the projector room. And I guess the caretaker probably had less work uh, uh, because everything had access to the power. And you just had to slowly power it up and uh, uh, figure out the technology and and how to make the projector work. And then the ride didn't quite glide like it used to but it, you got it gliding and you know we had the two different ride movies continental gliding was the new one and that was the one you watched over and over again you sat there and yeah, I felt uh, you know my motion was a little bit more jerky uh, but uh, you know than it had been in the past, but gliding over the continents of the world, over the major uh, sites, uh, over natural beauty, constructed beauty, ancient beauty, and, you know, nice stuff. I guess I don't have to say just beauty, because some of it may have been majestic. Uh, some of it was unfathomable to you. As you watched it over and over again. And all of the videos, uh, or all of the scenes, uh, you know, even though they were larger than life, they had the larger than life people there, too. I mean, they were to scale. But they were there enjoying the sights, uh, usually in some sort of group of togetherness. Uh, I don't know if there was any video at all of just one person. I know on the Great Wall to China, there was uh, people walking and there was a little distance between them. But there was always more than one person. But at the same time, I think you noticed as you watched it over and over again that there was something unreal about it all, that these were actors and that real... Why would they wave at a... Uh, you know, surreal camera or whatever was uh, flying over them at the, gli the gliding guests. And then you watched it gliding over the West, uh, which covered the Western United States and was usually, I guess, initially designed just to be shown in the Western United States, but then it was shown in Florida in some other parks across uh, the world. Uh, but you saw more mountains and you know, more cities and more people, canyons and rivers, more deserts, very structurally similar. I don't think my smellolator was working, so you didn't get to smell the orange groves or the desert or the sea spray. I think that his uh, nozzles had all dried up. 
But you sat there and you watched that video over and over and over again. Just like with the first one, even quicker, you grew bored with it. Uh, you noticed uh, that it was uh, something, I don't know. You seem to enjoy it, uh, but uh, I guess because it's predictable or maybe the people weren't real enough for you. Uh, and then you would play it for a little while, while you exercised, while you climbed up and down the superstructure. And then you seem to kind of seem to grow cross with the videos and would go and shut them off. Uh, and then you would play them. I think the background noise was nice. And you figured, figured out the projection, uh, thing pretty quickly as you looked through the ride and you know some of them the signs were just a a simple projection not a pro, you know a projector projecting a static image as opposed to a moving image uh, but you played with those and you examined those uh, and you kind of grew bored quickly uh, but I, I don't know if it was growing on you. If you're, you while you were physically growing strong, I was like, is, is she growing soft, uh, sleeping on a carpeted floor? Uh, but then you explored deeper because, uh, and maybe this is why my building was so, uh, airtight. Why, you know, the outside world hadn't crept in yet. Eventually it would, uh, but it would take a much longer time than the rest of the park, uh, that was because below my ride was the uh, server room for all the other videos in the park. And eventually you found a hatch that led down there. And then there was the monitoring room. And uh, the, the physical backups that they made of... Uh, uh, particular videos, because most of the servers, uh, though some were solid state... Uh, they weren't functioning, but it, it took some time for you to figure out firing all that stuff up, and I'm sure the caretaker was busy making sure you had the power you needed, and you occupied your time figuring out what was this equipment, what did it do, and there was even a couple of video, live videos, uh, the cameras that actually were still working in the park. Uh, and you would see some alerts from that. Uh, but then you dug into the archives and then you started watching the archived videos. Uh, at first, just seeming haphazardly grabbing things and and looking and, and, you know, some, some of the servers you were able to access and then digging into the physical uh, backups and watching people and watching families and watching them just go through the park or days and days of, uh, video from our quaint downtown streets uh, and all the shops, uh, and you were nothing if not creative, because then you said to yourself, I assume, that you put two and two together and were able to get those videos playing inside of me and gliding. And instead of gliding, it was just a, 
archived, uh, well, at first it was just archived uh, video uh, from those cameras, which is extremely tedious uh, to me. Uh, but to you, it made really nice uh, background. And, and I guess those were more real people there uh, doing things. Uh, but I guess you didn't realize that you were going through the archives in order. And that one day you got to the archives and you set it up and you were going to, I guess you were going to do your little workout there and, and play it uh but it was a day, uh, the first time in a long time, the park didn't open. Yeah, but the video still recorded the whole day with no guests. And then the next day, uh, there was no guests and the video played and no one was there. And then it was the third day with no guests, uh, and it had caught your attention, and you were uh, watching out of the corner of your eye, and it seemed to be growing unhappy with it. Uh, and then on the fourth day, all the employees were there. The employees were back, and I don't think you were paying attention to those other videos very closely. But you could see something with the employees, like... Uh, there was a less of them than you had observed in the past, and that they seemed to be more in physical contact with one another, and their eye contact was, well, it was strained. It was much more uh, connected. And then they walked with one another, and they went to their places, and the park opened. And there was guests there, and, and you, you you could tell there was something different about the guests, uh, that something had changed in them. And then, like a little detective, you stopped watching and you went back. Uh, and you went back to the days that the park was closed, and you saw the occasional maintenance employee with a glum look on their face. And then you backed up to the day... And you hadn't noticed that the, the day before the park was closed, uh, the park closed early. But then you watched uh, all the guests being escorted out uh, with uh, looks on their face like when the belt clicked into place for you. And all leaving and, and kind of holding one another and looking uncertain and then the employees kind of the same look after the park had emptied out, uh, uh, taking time with one another, loving one another, comforting one another. I thought that was interesting because I was mesmerized from a much different angle than you were. And you seemed to focus on the comforting that the coworkers were providing, that the families were providing. And then you went back and watched it again and watched the people return to the park and uh, how they were uh, different than the people that had been at the park just months before. They were much less casual, much more deliberate in, in how they treated one another. In some sense, a kindness, but backed up with something else. 
and they seem to be seeking that comfort, not only providing it and like uh, by giving comfort, giving it back, but seeking it in the workers and in the park itself, like uh, it was a refuge from an outside world. And, uh, you know, after a few days, uh, people kind of seemed to revert for a little while uh, back to kind of a more casual attitude. And the the, the attendance of the park uh, uh, slowly trickled back to normal. And, of course, then the, 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 uh, the archives ended. But you were... Uh, I don't know, there was something new in you, and you started digging deeper into the physical archives, and it was uh, strange that you came across this trove of what uh, I think the uh, the people in the control room called follow videos, and you started watching these follow videos because they had been assembled and edited together, I think, uh, and they were archived for... Uh, uh, I guess uh, they were holding these, and it would follow uh, someone, and they would be doing something like going past a park boundary, and the videos would be watching them, and then eventually some of the park staff would say, hey, you're going to have to leave, you can't go back there, we're going to have to ask you to leave, or whatever it was. Or, you know, people with their, their loved ones that had gone to the big farm within, you know, spreading them, you watched that. But most of the videos, most of the follow videos were children of various ages. Uh, you know, sometimes they were, they'd uh, gotten a little lost and they just needed help uh, reconnecting with their family. But the rest of them uh, were children taking things. Uh, and the camera would follow them, and it would start with them looking longingly and then looking around and then going from room to room. And it was a definite pattern, and it crossed all ages and all the children. I mean, not all the children of the park were doing it, of course, but all sorts of different children. And it was different things every time, too, an earring here, candy there. But most of the time, it was a stuffed animal or something they could hold. Uh, and you would watch them, and you'd watch, and, and you, you could figure it out just from their body language. And most of the videos had no sound. And you would see them, you know, take a little stuffed animal. Maybe it was small enough to, to slip into their pocket, and they would walk off and, you know... Most of the time, they let the parents pay for it. They'd go and uh, walk up to the children after they'd reunited with their parents and say, hey, by the way, uh, did you want to pay for that? And uh, the parents normally would react uh, with a little bit of embarrassment or a little bit of an upset. Uh, and sometimes they would buy the thing. Sometimes they would scold. Some parents would say, deflect things to the park staff. I guess that's why they kept all these videos archived. But you just kept watching, and I think you kept watching the beginnings again and again and again. 
because it was like this thing they used to say, love at first sight. And I don't know if it was always about love, but you could see it on the child's face where the idea would erupt uh, as they made eye contact so many times with these stuffed uh, uh, animals or uh, friends of the characters, I guess we would call them, uh, plushes. uh, And you would watch the children's face and they would walk by and... They'd have this undeniable connection uh, that I guess we came more of a saying, I have to have this. Uh, and sometimes they would be very humorous, and even you would laugh at uh, the uh, uh, lack of foresight of the child, thinking they could just pick it up and walk away or sneeze and then run out the door or whatever. Uh, but I guess those cameras were everywhere for a reason. And I also remember you fixating on after they would have it, uh, that other uh, set of looks uh, they would have between their body and their face and their breathing and the tension of their muscles, uh, a relief, a comfort, and also a thrill uh, driven by this forbidden thing they were doing. And you would watch that over and over again, too. And I said, what is she doing? And you would even project these up on the the gliding screen. And uh, I couldn't think anything funny, you know, but uh, lifting, I think they called it shoplifting. Not at the park, they didn't. Uh, but I think that's what they, the parents would say. How could you shoplift that uh, friendly frog or whatever the character's name was? But what I didn't realize was it was awakening something else in you because you started then looking at the cameras that were working in the park and trying to figure out where the cameras were and running them through diagnostics to see if you could get them started back up. And some of them actually did. Uh, I guess that was the uh, uh, most hardened uh, electronics in the park. And you got the cameras working. And then you started observing the park. Uh, and it state places you had been and places you had yet to go. And I was like, is this her first time seeing this? What is she thinking? But then I realized you were trying to find, uh, you hadn't been at the downtown shops. Uh, so you're trying to find the cameras there because that's where so many of the children were. I guess they would say tempted or more than tempted. You found the downtown shops and, and then you found some of the other shops and you were looking and you were using the ca- cameras that were still operable with the zoom and the controllers, uh, looking in the shops, uh, you know, most of the things had gone or weathered away. They didn't realize what you were looking for, of course, until afterwards, uh, I thought you were maybe seeing, was there any children do play? I said, doesn't she know that's the past? All those videos are the past. Does she know that? Uh, how I underestimated you, I guess. 
But yes, you watch the video, the live streams over and over. But I guess it was clear you were searching for something, not someone. And eventually something caught your eye. It wasn't at one of the main shops. It was at, uh, it was at one of the biggest shops over in Science City. And you watched it, and I guess that shop uh, was built well like I was. Uh, you kept an eye on it, uh, and you moved the camera, and you eventually got the camera to within the shop, within the store. I don't know what they call those. You know, I'm an attraction. I don't associate with your shops. I don't know a lot about them. But you've looked inside. And then you ventured out, and you left a video playing the live stream up on my gliding screen. So I was able to watch you, uh, to follow you as you set out from me. Uh, one morning, and you headed out to cross it, and it was a lot of distance you needed to cover. But if you are one thing, it is uh, focused. Uh, so you set out across the property because you had to leave uh, the part of the park I was in and go across uh, some of the undeveloped land. Is through grass and down broken asphalt, and you know some of the road was still intact. Uh, you'd even made a physical map, uh, but I think the only map you needed was in your mind. And you walked. You uh, you didn't seem interested in observing anything, whether it was uh, drainage basins or. Uh, signs or anything you had in a unitary focus uh, to get uh, to Science City and so you made your way into the park that contained Science City and you went through the entr the same entrance you'd seen all those children uh, come in and out of you'd seen all the guests leave uh and the day we closed early, it, it didn't phase you. You didn't even stop to look around uh, uh, the, the downtown shops. You headed right towards uh, Science City on your map and what you had seen on the videos. And you seemed to just travel the line that the cameras were watching. Uh, and you trudged there. You rested at one point to eat the lunch you had uh, prepared for yourself. Uh, an egg and some leafy greens. Uh, and then you headed into Science City. You ignored all the attractions there. All my partners in Science City were ignored. You made your way to the shop in the back. Uh, and it took a little while because the doors weren't uh, operating. And you had to really do some... Uh, Make some adjustments. I guess it was pretty, pretty, pretty strong. That's an understatement. But you used a chair as a lever. And I guess I was proud of you. I, I was uh, confused. And I guess I feel like we have a strange, distant relationship, the two of us. Uh, 
but you pried that door open and you went into the shop and you paused in the doorway. You looked around like you were a camera. And then you uh, laid eyes on it. Uh, why they had uh, these in uh, uh, the Science City shop, but uh, they had all of our main characters as little babies uh, swaddled, or I guess they were more toddler age, uh, in swaddling. I guess for a child that would want a child. And they were very cute, and you made your way there. And there was a Serena the Swan, wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, on a shelf uh, or display, and you picked one up, and you looked right at the camera, and you smiled. Uh, and I said, I, 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 like, uh, I guess I smiled in some way. You cradled her in your arms, and you trudged all the way back to me. All the way back, it took you a full day back and forth uh, with the roundabout way you needed to go. And then you walked right in my hallway and you curled up with Serena the Swan, the baby Serena the Swan, and you made her a little bed and you tucked her in and you talked to her in... I'll be honest, I rewatched the tapes. Uh, I watched your face, and I watched the love at first sight, even though you had clearly seen Serena the Swan, the baby swan, before. I watched you look at that display. I watched you sweep her up in your arms uh, and hold her. And I thought about all the... Uh, Acts of comforting I'd seen, I said, oh, I thought about you when the belt crossed your lap and clicked into place and how you would have reacted differently if you had Serena the Swan cradled in your arms. And I watched as you got ready for bed, uh, night after night, for the time you were with me, which wouldn't be much longer. Uh... That Serena the Swan, you were giving her comfort every night and every day. And you would say, it's okay, Serena. You didn't know she was Serena. Or maybe you did. I, I, that was always confusing. I couldn't he exactly always hear what you were saying to her, so I imagined you were calling her Serena. Say, I'm just going to climb these, uh, and you would show her your muscles, uh, and you say, it's okay, do you want to run with me, uh, Serena? And you would run up and down the hall, cradling her. And then you'd say, just watch me run now. And you would feed. And I forget, sometimes I forget you're a child, too. Uh, whatever it is we would call it nowadays. Uh, and uh, I'm so glad you had found uh, Serena. And I said, who is comforting whom here? Uh, but I think we both know the answer to that. And, uh, I, I, I said, well, I guess that's why they made these little baby. And I was, I, I don't have, you know, I couldn't physically change the, the, the archives to watch any. I said, how many, like, was this the most popular item that was, uh, was taken was, uh, uh, swaddling 
babies, but I think it was more, they weren't able to be slipped into the pockets. I think it was probably candy is the most popular thing. Uh, but uh, I guess Serena stole your heart, and you, I guess you didn't steal her because uh, she's... Uh, but I'm glad you have someone to comfort, and uh, I know I'm not the most comforting ride, just a ride of projectors and metal and uh, sterile hallways. Uh, but I'm glad you found what you were needing. Uh, maybe, or maybe you found something else while you were here. And uh, makes my heart feel like it's gliding. Uh, so rest there with Serena the Swan. You two snuggled up in a queue, uh, uh, cuddled and uh, sleeping well. Good night. Uh, hey, everybody, welcome to our uh, uh, episodic series, not serial, uh, but totally episodic, uh, modular in some sense, because you can listen to them in any order. And it's a little bit, uh, it is grounded, but it is a bit surreal. Uh, so uh, it's really not a setup, just one character or kind of two characters. And the, the episode is in, you know, like, uh, you'll, you'll figure it out, uh, cause it's kind of self-contained or, and part of a broad, b- bigger world. Uh, so either one, that's why it's episodic. Else you gotta do is settle in. And for the transition, I just want you, uh, to, to settle in and, and feel like the slow motion, uh, just like the water uh, created like by, in the water of a fish tank by the fish tank filter. Like the water is moving and, and maybe the filter's on like a full speed. So there's like even a little bit of a, a bare, barely wave action. And we get a deeper look into the aquarium and you see the aquarium rocks and... You know, maybe a co- like a couple of decorations and some fake plants and some real plants and some fish uh, slowly making their way around the tank. Uh, and then you m- notice even more the motion of the water of the fish tank and how it reminds you of the motion of the sea or lake. Uh, that gentle uh, up and down rocking motion at the surface. Uh, not really waves, because uh, the fish tank is, uh, you know, not the shore. It's out there. Uh, and usually the water action is pretty similar to that. Uh, like something short of a sloshing. And the water's moving. You can get easy rolling motion. And just uh, picture that uh, as we start our story here. Yes, hello, you arrived here. And I remember before you first came, the caretaker had been spending a lot of time here working on things, and I, I really wondered what the caretaker was up to. I mean, the caretaker had always been working out back, but now... The caretaker had taken time inside the attraction and uh, got the ride system operating and the audio 
really taking the time uh, to get things set up. Uh, but the first thing you noticed when you arrived was that the caretaker had failed uh, to prepare the entrance of the ride uh, before the queue. And when you came in and the doors weren't operating properly, the one was just hanging off its hinges and the other one was set up against the side, totally detached. And you came in the entryway and then there was another set of non-operational open doors. Uh, that didn't seem satisfying to you when you found a broom and you started uh, sweeping out all the debris that the wind had blown in, and the, you worked on the first set of doors. I'm always amazed. I mean, I'd heard from some of the other attractions uh, how you've kind of seen your way to some of these mechanisms or improved uh, solutions, which while you didn't get the doors operational because they were automatic doors, you did get them on their hinges and sliders and the automatic mechanism, you made sure it was disengaged so you could roll the doors open and shut. And that uh, kept the debris from coming into the entrance room, The uh, like uh, kind of like a chamber to keep stuff from blowing into the queue. And you set to work on the second doors, and you sweeped out that area, and you even stayed there a few nights. And you got it nice, and you got the signs cleaned off, and you worked on the front of the ride. And, and you couldn't get it the same because there was that those ocean rocks with the fake, fake ocean spray. You didn't even know that was there. But you made sure the sign that said entrance uh, was cleaned off in the arrow. It was like you were really engaged, and, and I, I guess... Uh, I did not here to offer my opinion to the caretaker, but it was remiss, I guess you could say, to say, hey, what about this entrance? And you fixed that, and you fixed the doors, and then you made your way into the queue, where, again, you've gotten to know those queues in a whole new way, meandering through the ocean dunes with the winding line for the ride, and the grasses and the sound of the seagulls and the beginning of the narration and preparing, which was a big leap for, for, for my attraction, to prepare the guests uh, to see the seas of the myths and then the future oceans and then our present seas. And you had the loop going with that famous narrator, and she would say, What calls us to the sea? Why have we always sought out a solace and adventure in our oceans? Is it because our bodies are mostly made up of water? Or is it because there's a mystery and a myth to the oceans that surround us, the oceans that inhabit us, the oceans of the myth the oceans of the planning of our future. Uh, join us or set sail uh, for your journey. And then there was the aquapods, they called them. And this was the old uh, Unimover technology, a giant chain of interconnected pods uh, 
or train almost, but a full circle train. And you hit the green button and started the ride up, and everything had been properly greased and lubricated and repaired by the caretaker before your arrival. And the ride started to move, and since you had never been on it before, you know, you didn't know the parts that were missing. It all seemed mesmerizing to you. And it began the narration, the same narrator as from the queue, Welcome to the seas of our myths. And uh, the ride kind of set off. Uh, it was interesting as you wrote it and rewrote it and paid attention, because obviously not all of these uh, were even myths that were familiar with the guests. And this was one of those rides that never really had a line uh, because of the, both the technology of the Unimover. And it was kind of like a semi-popular, and because our ride was structured with nearly no bottlenecks, uh, that it benefited from riding it over and over again. Uh, so as the narrator explained, uh, delving deep and exploring the myths uh, of the seas and the oceans and the lakes and the rivers all around us, all around our world. And there's a lot of there was a lot of cool things that the caretaker was able to return to working order. Puddles turning to ash rays, uh, and then someone riding a brook horse, uh, and that was just a projection on a wall. He said, "Is that a brook? Is that a horse made of a brook or a horse from a brook?" Uh, and then diving to the famous worlds uh, and going by uh, places like Atlantis and even the sea pods traveling through and having sound effects and Lemuria and Moo, Jengu, seeing mer people, uh, the libraries of uh, Atlantis they seemed to fixate on and it even smelled like paper. Now, not to you, that feature wasn't... Uh, restorable uh, the kingdoms of the sea monkeys uh, which had been in, in later times become a new important myth uh, and also combined with the nostalgia of intergenerational but these were the sea monkeys of myths uh, talking and celebrating and their counterparts or, or their parallel the blue men and women Ruling and and then uh, encountering the, the the sea monkeys. Some of this was done in just the murals, uh, but you studied it all. And then one big right hand turn with a ride, avoiding Ben Yip, uh, and going and seeing Nemo, Captain Nemo. And also Nemo, there's a little tribute of Nemo, uh, the other one. The Captain Nemo playing his organ and then breaking the wall and talking, saying, you know, this is uh, uh, the part of the ride where we deal with uh, the other part of the myths. Uh, undersea friends, Nemo didn't do that in quotes. He was much more straightforward with his language. But then we set forth and met Cedo, 
Ben Long. Uh, there was a Chessy in the further right side background of the Chesapeake Bay and Nessie and the other side of a mural with their heads randomly projecting them rising up in uh, sea dragons and leviathans and krakens and insignia. And then it talked about even more shrouded mysteries as the song of Fosse Grimm carries you on the air, or is it the song of the sirens that the sailors would hear? And passing through and hearing the narrator comment on the Fortunate Isles and Formosa and the Bermuda Triangle and explaining why humans had made those into places of uh, popular myth uh, or ancient myth, or what was once popular becomes ancient. And there was the sea of myth that was also just way out there and hilarious, like the little coppas uh, whose heads were like bowls of water running along and spilling the water out of their heads. Uh, and then Avalon... And Marsburg, uh, a vortex, uh, the lady of the lake, uh, smiling and guiding, laughing and lovely, and mermaids and nereids and rucala, uh, selkies, and so many. I mean, some of these I didn't even remember. You would ride it again and again and watch them. They were all mostly based in, you know, other than the surreal creatures, uh, uh, very humanoid. So again, you'd watch the sea monkeys and they'd seem to be debating something or the blue men and women conducting some sort of forum or the mer people, uh, planning and, uh, reinforcing or again, the way they progressed, uh, Atlantis, uh, and talking about the different myths of Atlantis, and was it a continent, and was it below the sea, where was it, uh, was the library intact, and you wrote it again and again, and sometimes you would get off and see a spot that the caretaker had missed, or, you know, see something that wasn't working right, uh, the turn of a head, that was a little bit jerky, and you'd see if you could fix it, or a scrape on the wall. You, you know, you would run back to where you had things stored, like paints and wires and tools, uh, mostly in that anteroom in your bag you carried with you. And you would kind of plus the ride, and you enjoyed how it moved so slowly. And this was just the first part, and it, I liked how you would just, uh, most of the time, just climb out and walk all the way back. Uh, you know, guests never had that option. They would ride it uh, from the seas of the myth uh, into the seas of the future. But you had that luxury uh, and you, over and over again. Uh, but mostly at some point, you stopped analyzing it for the myths and started looking for the errors and 
than just riding it. Uh, I don't know. I, I was wondering what you were waiting for before moving into the future. But I think it was a matter of you at some point. Uh, they never talked about this with any of the other attractions, but wondering if someone was coming after you. And I, 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 I never had time to contemplate it till now. That uh, Were you mirroring the caretaker in some way? Was this intentional or natural or just who you were slowly becoming? Or was it a fantasy? I didn't know. Were there people coming behind you? Or were you just preparing for an imaginary friend or... A follower, I say, well, if I, I was, uh, if this is my home, uh, are there other, uh, children here somewhere or not? Uh, and I said, oh, is she doing this? Or I said, maybe she just is very sensitive to details and she likes to make sure the moon and the way the wind was blowing, where the sirens and Fosse Grimms were singing, that she wanted the moon that way and, and the clouds uh, uh, to be as billowing and flowing as uh, the uh, creators attempted to make them. And then you would soak in the ride and go all the way back to the entrance, make sure your doors were closed and nothing was blowing in. No debris or anything was uh, clogging up the queue or the ante room. And uh, I guess you had the fullest descent into the myth of the sea. In some ways, I wish, uh, as I heard many guests uh, talking uh, from different places uh, in the world uh, or different uh a collection of knowledge of the world saying, oh, that is this myth from this place. Uh, or, oh, we studied that myth in the history of this or that. Uh, or that was on that cartoon show, The Sirens or whatever. I wish you had had access to that history, to the history books uh, or the classes at a, a school or university, or the cartoons, I, I wondered. I had never seen these, but I had heard different guests say, oh, that was like when Goofy went to Rome, there was one part, or, oh, I had uh, the, the sea monkeys on the box, nothing like that. Or, who's that? Is Was that horse made of water or laughing at the coppice? No one said, where is that from? That's uh, strange. Their their heads are bowls, and they're just running around. Spill. They're trying not to spill the water out of their heads. Uh, and the lady of the lake and her sly, comforting smile. Uh, saying, "Was it? What was it? Is that from? Uh, what's that from?" You know, always people would get, "Oh, that's uh, Queen Isabella of the Sea," or. You know, the, 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 whatever, a lot of people, you know, there was just as many guests that got it wrong. But none of that mattered to you. None of that was really a big deal at all. You just, uh, 
you seemed to, to, to want to make things the best you could, and you still seem to enjoy it. Uh, but at some point, you decided to move on and ride the rest of the attraction. A few times you fell asleep and accidentally did ride it. Uh, but you seemed content uh, to stay in the seas of Mitch for a long time. And then it moved into the seas of the future, the oceans of the future. I forget what the narrator says, because uh, that part was a little shorted out. Uh, it said something like, uh, the seas of the future start in our distant past, uh, always calling us ahead. But in order to move ahead, we have to look backwards all the way back uh, to 700 A.D., the Tonka people. And uh, the ride showed them uh, pinning uh, the seas and the uh, innovations of Buckminster Fuller uh, became the geodesic uh, domes, uh, these uh, geodesic uh, containers that uh, would float for us throughout the sea. Uh, trying to create something that was uh, both uh, sustainable and humane for the fish uh, out in the oceans. And then it went on to start to show uh, how non-ocean-friendly technology was slowly uh, going to be converted uh, to much more uh, environmentally friendly things and how uh, oceanic cities uh, that were portrayed in these beautiful ways and these uh, uh, faux vistas uh, that you could get off and look. And that was another thing. You replaced the little light bulbs on, the, on these giant platforms and... It showed how harnessing the power of the waves and the sun, and then we descended underneath, uh, even though it was just a trick of light and paint and water sounds, uh, showing what was called thermic conversion in the way the water moved within the ocean, it just like the wind in the air and how that could also uh, be harnessed uh, to power these cities. And eventually, the narrator said, uh, power on the land, and how they could f fix uh, some of the other things, uh, capturing uh, humongous amounts of carbon dioxide and these uh, oceanic uh, cities. Uh, with these uh, giant uh, pins, with the waste of the cities uh, becoming essential, uh, with the algae taking in all the CO2 and gently going down to, to the bottom of the ocean. And as we got deeper, we began to get a view of where you might live under the sea if you didn't live on the surface in one of the the great interconnected surface cities or former platforms, uh, seeing these interconnected pods, uh, 
Uh, some that could also be on the surface and some pods that would just sink during times when it was rough on the surface. Uh, I think I forgot to mention, I had to sneak that in there. But the cities uh, below the sea were much less cities than interconnected camps in some way or stations. And some of it was also based on science fiction, some fun and, and, and some more future futurism-based. Uh, but uh, there were scenes, uh, cartoony scenes of uh, adults and children leaving to commute by a personal submarine. And, uh, kids, the sub bus is here to get you. You know, don't forget to wear your flippers, uh, and views of the future of the sea from the 1920s and 30s, the 50s and 60s, all the way up until, uh, the time the ride was constructed. And we went down uh, to Neptune Base, uh, full of aquanauts, as they called them. I forget which year yeah, this was a vision of the future, but it was modular homes and science pods, uh, uh, arboretum with uh, artificial light and some light even piped in from the surface. And they said, all this plant life's here to make it feel a little bit like a home. And then you passed uh, different views of people exploring the ocean with these hookah lines uh, where they didn't need suits or even tanks, just a line attached to their home or uh, oxygen sub following them out there. Uh, swimming in the sea, getting it around, and then we went to the deep sea and saw the reinforcements in the future and the curious things of the unexplored areas yet to be unexplored and comparisons to the moon and all those things. Uh, but when you started rewriting and rewriting this part of the ride and re kind of... Uh, I guess you weren't refurbishing it. You were still furbishing the ride, just like you had done with the myths. Uh, you seem to be obsessed with uh, this one part, uh, with the more cartoony but reality-based uh, future of the sea, the life of the undersea chef. Uh, of course, it was one of the sillier characters from our park pretending to be an undersea chef uh, on Neptune base and explaining how hard it is to cook under pressure and that the character was sweating under pressure, jokes about that, uh, and then jokes about how down under the sea you have to uh, be careful because the smells are so much stronger. And you see, you seem to get all those jokes, uh, I guess because of all the body language. It was... Uh, it's so much based on that and the character bringing stuff out, even though it might look delicious, everyone uh, saying, whew, uh, yeah, I never smelled turkey under pressure before uh, or, you know, overcooking something, you know, toast or whatever. You found that hilarious. Uh, and I would say, well, it's kind of middling. You also studied the children after they headed off on their aqua bus. Uh, some of the children went to a virtual academy with uh, kids on the surface and the screens and the 
virtual reality that showed their classmates or their teacher. And there's always in these, uh, even in not just in our park, there's always a seal that is a family pet uh, or a dolphin. And in this case, you know, the seal kind of barking and interrupting the class. And you would go and pat the uh, uh, seal on the head. And that was kind of the carrying of the ride towards the end and the main message. Uh, but it seemed like you liked the children, but you knew they were just uh, tronics uh, and older tronics at that. So almost more mannequin, uh, moving mannequins. Uh, but you you paid attention to how they said, and, and in the future, children are... It's extra important. You know, they did it subtly at first with the classroom saying, now how's everyone's project going and the deplasticization? Or what have you learned about carbon dioxide, Franny? And all of that. Uh, but uh, they talked about how the children are supposed to be good stewards of the sea and not repeat the mistakes of their ancestors. And this was the last transition of the ride, uh, kind of the underlying point. Uh, the ancestors who saw the ocean as boundless and limitless, uh, who took the seas for granted, as the narrator said, who built in awe of her power but never contemplated her fragility who never realized the interconnectedness of all things uh, on land and sea alike, and how the children were learning uh, important lessons and how to restore uh, all visions uh, for the future uh, to ensure the future of the seas. And then it kind of was building again uh, towards what you were going to get next on my attraction. And I said, as you depart soon for Sea Base Moo, you'll learn how to recognize and respect and value and protect our living seas. Uh, the sea is so important to our myths. Uh, the sea is so important to our future. The seas that make up, you know, they said the statistics of how much it makes up a person and the planet Earth. And it said, now you, as you depart your aqua, aquapod, you'll board an aquavator to carry you thousands of fathoms below the sea to Moo Base. Uh, you know, so please collect your belongings and your young ones and uh, watch your step as you step to the left on uh, our moving walkway. And thank you. Uh, from the seas of the past, uh, from the seas of the myths, and the sea of the future, we thank you. And uh, we something about, again, the audio, but it said your, your departure to Mubase. And then as you got off, there was, some of the audio was still working uh, that had been restored. It said, you're, you're going to board an aquavator, and there was a banks of aquavators uh that you were supposed to line up for. And I said, well, she's never been on an elevator before. They said that the aquavators will take you deep below the surface to the largest aquarium of its kind in the world, where all the different oceans of our planet are represented. 
all teeming with life. Uh, this is a real science-based uh, aquarium where we're testing out new ideas every day and how to ensure the future of our uh, flourishing seas, uh, where we work on solutions so we don't repeat the mistakes of our past. And we ensure that the chains that interconnect all of us uh, in something. But then as you got to the door of the aquapod, a lot of the aquapods were, uh, they were more blocked off or you couldn't even recognize your door. But the closest one to the ride exit uh, had a little chain across the door with a sign on it. And the sign said, uh, thank you for your patience, undersea explorers. We're preparing for our newest undersea guests. Uh, so the, something like uh, the, they think you were supposed to take it. The aquapods were closed and you tried to open the door. You didn't realize the sign was handwritten. I, I thought I said she didn't recognize the sign was handwritten uh, by the caretaker, of course, I believe. Uh, but the chain was easily removed, but the doors were fused together, welded together, plastic. Uh, so, so, so despite your pushing and trying to restore the power and see where the power to the button that opened the door went, uh, it wouldn't open. And then finding where the ride operator would actually open the door, that button it still didn't open it. Uh, and you're sticking things and prying and pulling and and yanking, but nothing worked because uh, the, the doors were welded or melted together, I guess, in some sense. I don't know if you can weld plastic, but you wouldn't give up, and eventually you found uh, something to start chiseling away and scraping away uh, in between the two doors, and little bit by little bit... Uh, when you persist, nothing seems to be able to stop you. You were not deterred at one bit. You eventually got through. It took you a while, and I think it was good for your shoulders and your forearms. Uh, you eventually slid the doors open with little ragged plastic tendrils hanging from them on the edge. And you boarded the aquavator and you looked around, and I think you got the general idea from other attractions. Uh, it had room, it had a floor with a little uh, uh, glass viewing area and a glass viewing area at the top and windows, uh, like a glass elevator, uh, though there was nothing on the other side of the glass other than the chamber you were in. And you got an idea for the button, and then you slid the doors closed. Uh, and at first, nothing happened, and you realized, oh, I have to figure out, a, you know, the, the ride operator. So you did that, but since the doors were kind of detached anyway, you were able to start the aquavator and jump right in and close the doors. And it began to vibrate, and uh, the narration on this was not really working, yeah. But then the rumbling of the elevator as it seemed to descend, and then the bubbles just started to... So you couldn't see out the window or below you because the water was churning so much and bubbling and bubbling and bubbling as the ride descended. 
And then the, the uh, audio did kick in at some point, and it was a deep, hollow voice, uh, almost like something like thunder in a tin can, uh, now in a ring, moo bass, you know, 30 fathoms below surface, uh, depressurization beginning. And then the bubbles changed, and some sound effects and air effects uh, came on, though you did not know that. Uh, and the shuddering stopped, and the motion stopped. Uh, and there was another set of doors at the, on the other side of the aquavator, but they didn't open. And at first, you, you didn't you didn't really enjoy that, uh, and you tried to pull the doors open, and you thought about uh, how, how deep is thirty fathoms? How far did we just travel? That I'm friggin' stuck on this aquavator. And then you really worked at the doors, uh, and you had brought your chisel and you stuck it in the door and the door was not welded. It was, uh, there was something on the other side. So you were able to get the doors open a little bit, uh, uh, but you needed something else, uh, because whatever it was, it was like a, a thick bar. You just couldn't, couldn't get through it. Uh, you thought about your tools and, he said, how do we get it? And then you pulled it out and you said, how do we get this elevator up? Uh, and you grew frustrated. And then you wondered how, uh, what's up with the other doors that it came through? And you went to slide them open to see if they would just be on the other side of wherever you descended to. And as you slid the doors open, you realized you hadn't traveled anywhere. It opened up to the exit of the Unimover ride, right where you had boarded. You hadn't traveled an inch. It was all an illusion. And then you replayed the illusion again and again, riding or starting the descent descent of the Aquavator. And I think you found that amusing, heading down to Moo Base, uh, 30,000 fathoms or whatever. And watching the flowing bubbles and the rumbling and the tumbling, all in illusion. Uh, the aquavators are part of a good show, I, I would have said to you if they could speak to you directly. You smiled again and kind of had a chuckle. And then you went and you got your your saw and you worked your way through the bar on the exit door and did some pulling and some twisting and some pushing. Eventually got those doors loose as well. And you slid those doors open and you stepped into another world. Uh, a world so much different than what it once was. Uh, and if it was anyone else uh, from the time uh, the park was in operation... It would have seemed very bleak to their eyes, but to you it was just more of a curious sight. Uh, There was an ancient vegetal smell in the air, hanging everywhere. And you couldn't, you didn't know that this was once a giant undersea aquarium, even though they said it in the audio, you hadn't been, I don't know if it was a series of aquariums, uh, or both, uh, once it was full of water and full of life and fish and plants, uh, but all you saw as you walked or walked around were broken windows, giant broken windows. 
you know, looking out on an empty landscape uh, that in some sense reminded you of a real version of the dark side of the moon ride that you had been on, uh, full of rocks, uh, uh, dark with old vegetation and and dust everywhere, covering everything. You walked around, it looked terribly uncleansly, like it really needed a a touch-up and incredibly boring. Like, uh, and of course your suspicion was raised, what was this or what is this or why am I here? And it took a while of walking before you saw that the little panels uh, were set where the windows once were. Uh, the viewing portals or whatever they called them, the fish spotter guides. Uh, and you wiped the dust off and saw how they described what fish you might be seeing in each uh, window and what plants and other uh, friends under the sea, how to identify them, what, 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 uh, why they had a beak or, you know, why their fins were set this way or that way you know, what ocean we were looking in on, uh, what depth. Uh, and as you read these and wiped more of them off, you puzzled and tried to look at them and picture what you should have been seeing versus uh, just uh, this rockscape uh, that you were viewing across or down into. And, of course, it didn't take long for you to climb in there and start to examine the stone and the rock work and dust off the coral and everything that was left behind, the faint traces of once was. You stood in there and sometimes two, three stories down looking around and that instinct you've carried with you from attraction to attraction seemed to kick in uh, that you started this journey with. Uh, and you set to work uh, cleaning and picking things up, but you started with the glass from the windows. Uh, and I thought about it. You didn't have a lot of experience with that. Uh, and you piled it up into different piles and different shapes and... It looked like you were kind of like a guest uh, plotting out how they were going to solve a jigsaw puzzle. And you tried sticking them together and looking with the windows and the edges. Uh, you had that furious focus uh, of where to start, to where to begin your fixing, uh, sweeping or... Yeah, finding the, the air filtration. We're getting into the uh, empty aquariums, uh, trying to process what they'd be like full of water. And I think even when you started, you could part of you could see the futility of your actions, uh, but at the same time, you refused to acknowledge that. And you kept uh, walking around and, and waiting for a plan to kick in until eventually it kind of dawned on you that this wasn't a monumental task, but an impossible one to restore uh, the world's largest working aquarium to order. Uh, and it made you glare at the, uh, the vacant uh, space uh, all around you. 
most like you could will it to return to a flourishing fish fest. And even after realizing and you, you couldn't fix it, uh, that you couldn't set this ride back in some order, you seem to just uh, stomp around inside the aquarium, uh, kind of pouting, I guess. Uh, and eventually you hopped into this one canal. Uh, you wanted to walk every inch of it, I think, uh, hoping something would present itself. And it really seemed... Uh, uh, fed up and you started banging on this. At the end of the canal, there was this giant metal door. You were banging on it. Uh, and it, I didn't realize maybe it was out of inquiry, but I think it was out of irritation. When you banged on it, it after the third or fourth bang, it caught your attention because it wasn't an empty hollow bang like when you banged on the doors of the aquavator. And it wasn't a solid. Uh, empty splat bang like when you uh, go against the concrete uh, that it doesn't wield at all. It was a different sound, uh, almost a plunking sound. And you explored the edges of the door and you scrambled up and you started calculating that there was something on the other side of that wall you hadn't seen and eventually you, you, you had to go up and you had to really explore to find, uh, an exit out of the back of the attraction. They'd put a lot of old storage in front of those exits. Uh, she had a lot of move, a lot of old uh, junk and, uh, things, uh, and presentations and all those things. And you shifted all this out of the way and you found a door and exited into Another part of the ride that guests could only go on a reserved tour for, uh, one of the sustainable parts of the ride outdoors with just a, uh, with just a net overhead to shield the, 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 the full sun from the back. And out there was the aqua farm. And there were still pens, including the one up against the canal that would sometimes, uh, the fish were at times able to freely flow from the ride in and out, uh, or the aquarium, a working fish farm with bubbles bubbling and fish swimming. And when they saw you, they immediately remembered that the caretaker is the one that feeds them. So the fish rushing around to get a view of you and you smiling and laughing and seeing these fish, uh, in, in these really, really nice, uh, nice pens that allowed them to swim in circles, uh, in this, all the informational things were still there. So you read it and then you found the tour guides, uh, guide a book and, you read through and you read about how often the fish are fed every day. And you even found a grease pencil and uh, a laminated card uh, with the schedule of when the fish were. And you kind of determined that uh, someone had been feeding these fish. In fact, these were the fish that were feeding you from time to time. And you fell into a routine of always returning here. 
in feeding the fish, of taking over the care of the fish and the replenishing of the water. As you read more and more about it, the checking of the filters, the skimming of the surface, uh, you became the caretaker of the fish farm in keeping it operational. And I said, well, that's a little bit different than fixing a giant sea-based aquarium. But you kept it going, and uh, I didn't know at some point if you would make the connection at the the caretaker, but I think you knew that. Uh, I think, I guess I did forget, because you read, uh, since the tour guide talked about how this is, uh, these are the fish uh, served in some of our finest restaurants. Uh, and uh, you seemed pleased, uh, despite uh, not being able to fix my entire attraction, you were still able to sustain uh, an upgrade and maybe maintain for those who would come after you, whether that was an imagination or true. You kept things going and you made them a little bit better. And you accepted uh, when the job was just uh, too big or not worth your time. And so thank you for keeping the bubbles flowing and, you know, having fun on that aquavator. And, I'm, you know, I, I get to see you whenever you come to feed the fish, which is great for me. I'll talk to you soon. I want to thank everybody that became a patron in the past week. Uh, say thanks and good night to Stephanie, Kim, and Erica. Thanks, thanks, and good night to Sonia, Ayana, and uh, Jackie. Uh, thanks, thanks, and good night uh, to Virginia, Jed, and Susie. Thank you, thanks, and good night to Andrea, Matt, and Ray. Thank you, thanks, and good night uh, to Tyrone, Usama, and uh. Asian Pop Weekly, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, thanks and good night to Misha, to Jay, and to Patricia. Uh, thank you and good night to Robert, Lisa, and Matthew. Thanks and good night to Mary D, uh, Kate, and Megan. Uh, thanks and good night to Frank, to Tori, and to Martin. Uh, thank you and good night to Becky, to Scott, and to Adrian. Uh, thank you and good night to Nancy, to Cyrus, and to Annette. Uh, thanks and good night to Calm, Lindsay, and Christina. Uh, thank you and good night to Michelle, uh, Aaron, and Mary. Uh, thanks and good night to Esme, uh, Cindy, and John. Uh, thanks and good night to Megan, uh, Chad, and Galgorithm. Uh, thank you and good night to Pat, to Aaron, and to Claire. Thank you and good night to Stephen, Jessica, and Susan. Uh, thank you and good night to Ivy, Anna, Rana, and Syed. Uh, thanks and good night to Lauren, to Jan, and to Ryan. Uh, thank you and good night to Josh, Pamela, and Delia. Uh, thank you and good night to Hazel, Maggie, and Em. Uh, good night and thanks to Jason, Laura, and Sol J. Uh, thanks and good night to Easton, to Hal, and to Anthony. Uh, good night and thank you to Harris, Virginia, and Laura.
Uh, good night and thank you to uh, Christina, uh, Laura with a U, and Evelie. Uh, thanks and good night to Andy, to Kristen, and to Barrett. Uh, thanks and good night to Madeline, Emily, and Galen. Uh, good night and thanks to Veronica, to Jim, and to William. Uh, good night and thanks uh, to Perla, uh, Teja, and Life with Liv. Uh, thanks and good night to Colin, to Joshua, and Mike D. Uh, thank you and good night to Fred, Eve, and D. Chan. Uh, thanks and good night to Sarah, Stephanie, and Stacy. Uh, thanks and good night to Anne Marie, Astronaut, and Hillary. Uh, thanks and good night to Paige, uh, Kimberly, and Suzanne. And thanks and good night to Lady, uh, Jamie, and Lena. Good night and thanks to D, to Jarrett, to SG, and David. And thanks and good night to Matt, uh, Emily, Hillary, and Karen. Uh, thank you and good night to uh, Stathi, Sanger, and Jessica. And good night and thanks to David, uh, Benaya, and Rico. And good night and thanks finally to Emily, Trent, and Lily. Thank you. Thanks everybody for support and good night. Hey, everybody, welcome to our ongoing uh, episodic story uh, that doesn't have a title, and I don't think it's going to get one uh, just because I haven't found one. But I'll give you the premise. The, pre- the premise is hidden within it, uh, and it's it's a nice little dense little story to sleep to. Yeah, but somewhere out there, as Fivel once said, but this doesn't have anything to do with Fivel. Uh, or uh, who Fivel is, uh, but somewhere out there, there's a theme park, and within that theme park uh, lives a young woman or a girl, uh, depending on how you want to describe her, or depending on the episode. Uh, tonight, she will be a girl, a girl, a girl, age where you could say, "Well, that's a girl," uh, but you could say, "I don't know." But uh, and it's all you really know, you need to know to be lulling. It won't be, it won't be, there will be very few thrills or chills, uh, because it's, uh, well, I don't want to tell you any more than that. Uh, uh, It's not cloaked in mystery, it's cloaked in a foggy imagination. And to transition us tonight, I wanted to go to Wikipedia's uh, article about the gold rush, uh, which is a discovery of gold, sometimes accompanied by other precious metals or rare earth minerals, that brings an onrush of miners seeking their fortune. Uh, major gold rushes took place in the 18th century in Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, Canada, South Africa, and the United States, and smaller gold rushes took place elsewhere. Uh, the wealth that resulted was distributed widely because of reduced migration costs and low barriers to entry. While gold mining itself was unprofitable for most uh, diggers and mine owners, uh, some made large fortunes, and the merchants or transportation facilities also made large profits. Uh, the, re- gold, the resulting increase in the world's gold supply stimulated global trade and investment. Uh, historians have written extensively about uh, the gold rush and the relations to a lot of stuff. Uh, gold rushes were t- typically marked by a ge- general buoyant feeling of a free-for-all and in income mobility in which any single individual might become abundantly wealthy almost instantly is expressed in the California dream. 
Uh, gold rushes extend as far back as the Roman Empire, uh, where gold mining was described by Pliny the Elder. And probably back even further. The life cycle of the gold rush uh, usually starts with a transition uh, through progressively higher capital expenditures with larger organizations. And it may also progress from high view, unit value to low unit, unit value minerals, uh, gold and silver to base metals. Uh, it typically begins with the discovery of a place or gold by an individual. Uh, and the gold may be washed from the sand or the gravel by individual miners with little training. Uh, once it's clear that the volume there's a volume of gold-bearing sediment uh, larger than a few cubic meters, uh, yeah, the miners go to work. Uh, the California gold rush of 1840 to 155 in the Sierra Nevada captured popular imagination and led to the a settlement of California by Americans and the rapid entry of the state into the Union in 1850. Also, it has stimulated a worldwide interest in prospecting for gold in new rushes in Australia, South Africa, Wales, and Scotland, and it also spread throughout the United States. Uh, so that's a little bit about gold rushes. Uh, which are typically uh, spurred on or symbolized at some point by flowing water, either in a stream or a sluice, uh, flowing uh, gently, gently, gently. I'd wondered how long it would take you to arrive uh, here uh, to see me. I wondered... If I would be the last uh, attraction you would come in contact with, uh, I knew I shouldn't be the first, uh, for you wouldn't have fully appreciated me, the complexity I had to offer. Turns out I wasn't the last, uh, but I was skeptical you would even understand the depth of what I could teach you. Uh, the full ex uh, range of experiences I had to offer uh, as you navigated my twists and my turns, my stories. You know, some of those other attractions look on me with a jealous eye, a jealous air. And I didn't even know if you bring bring that along with you, that you would presuppose, but I presupposed anyway that you wouldn't understand. How observant were you? How observant could you be? Of course, it was an easy story for you uh, to observe, but would you understand what I wanted you to understand about negotiation, about give and take, about passivity, and uh, taking control about all or nothing or slumped shoulders. But as I observed you and heard about you, through the attraction grapevine, we'll call it, those attractions that uh, aspire to speak with me, you uh, didn't bring your own agenda, you developed your own agenda while you were here. A caretaker had preceded you and was able to do a lot of uh, uh, upkeep and uh, putting things back in order. Uh, they'd been doing some maintenance anyway, making sure my tracks uh, were lubed 
and working on my tronics and my turns, uh, uh, tightening bolts. Now, my lift mechanism, I wasn't sure why that wasn't fixed, whether it was too much work or not worth it, but I found it helped with my skepticism about you. Without a lift mechanism, would you be up to the task? Uh, could you make the mine cars move on your own? Did you have the energy? Did you have the strength? And did you have the intelligence to even realize it? And, of course, the caretaker checked all my water features. Most importantly, the pools of water, seemingly stagnant, uh, that the founder had seen so certain uh, to, to slow or stop uh, the motion of the cars, uh, the mine cars. Water breaks, uh, so brilliant, so original. Uh, to slow down the forward momentum of the vehicles. Uh, the water would need no repair, for it did its own work. Uh, just needed to be at the set level. And the caretaker ensured that. Uh, what foresight the founder had for that in, uh, in helping develop uh, the depth of my story. Without no waters, there would be no breaks. I guess I could have more than one meaning here. I also wondered if you would ride the rush, as they say. That's what some of the children would say. Are you going to go ride the rush? When we had guests. More guests than just you. And you're not really a guest at all. You've made yourself quite at home. But I didn't know if you had it in you to ride the rush. Would you watch the rush or ride the rush? Or neither. And you arrived and you sheltered yourself in the loading area for a time. Uh, setting up, it was a nice spring. Uh, warm, so the open air. But the cover... Of the loading area it sheltered you from the rain, but the breeze kept you cool at night. And you sat there for a time. I don't know if you were watching me or I was watching you, but then you set out on the track. Uh, and I had a laugh because you headed off in the wrong direction. But it, I guess it couldn't be too judgmental because it did make sense. You headed right into town, a western town, which, you know, was just a false front, which you would know. I guess you didn't know that when you first set out, uh, and your hand would play another part in that. Uh, and that was the first town you encountered, which I said, hmm, this will be interesting observing her. And you looked at the schoolhouse uh, from the outside. And, uh, you know, the caretaker had some of the audio even working there, which was just sound effects uh, uh, that your location triggered. So when people were waiting in line, they could hear the children studying. And you tried to rush in, but there was nowhere to rush to other than the front of the schoolhouse and the front of the clinic. The dentist with the big wooden 
uh, dental uh, a tooth, I guess they call it, uh, hanging from the front door as a sign. Uh, the saloon with its music. If you listened closely, you could even hear on the second floor of some of the buildings, you know, music lessons and parents talking to children. Hours and hours of audio, so the guests would always be surprised. Different discussions in the saloon. You could sit there and listen to Bernie uh, talk to Ray about the quality of the ingredients, or the quality of the piano playing, the hotel, the hardware and mining store, a peaceful uh, place for people to go and uh, celebrate how they believed uh, things would be. And you were curious, you know, you would listen and you also enjoyed the audio and your ability to trigger the audio and you explored, even though they were false fronts, they did have supporting uh, structures and you stayed there in the town for a time and made yourself a little cubby in the top of the schoolhouse. Uh, and I said, is she just going to stay in this town uh, and a part of me was a little disappointed, but it didn't take you long to venture beyond the town, along the track still. And at the back of the town was a gold processing and transfer station where they would transfer and process the gold from the mine. And there was a fake train station and even a train uh, parked there uh, where you could, you guess, get an idea it wasn't really uh, because you were doing it in reverse. I said, what is this? Uh, you were seeing it in a, a context, almost a historical context, uh, but not my history. Watching and imagining them transferring the gold uh, from processing uh, the ore to the, the trains uh, that uh, soon you would discover Curly Sue was behind. And maybe you even understood it in a, a different way, the call of the conductor. Last train of gold out of Boomtown. It had a, a more of a meaning uh, than you knew. It wasn't about the park closing time. But then it was the big hill. A big rushing hill, the last uh, big hill of the ride, with a couple uh, uh, swoops uh, and swoops or bumps of whatever you would call it, uh, where you'd say, oh, this makes sense. This is where the mine cars come rolling down. And the hill went st steep into a dry canyon, high-walled, red rocks, uh, even a few uh, different animals looking down, a bird and a, a ram, a sheep, and the steep walls of the canyon turning and the, the track turning so much so that you had to climb for a time. And then at the top of the canyon, a giant tunnel, uh, which you pondered before entering. You looked at its large size, uh, how it tumbled and opened right into the ravine, all the way down the hill. And I wondered if you contemplated that it wasn't carved by the hands of woman and man, but by 
the flow of the same water that coughed the canyon below. Thousands and thousands of years the water coughed and worked its way through the tunnel and into the canyon and down the hill. If the story, you know, was sticking to the story, you know, really it's just concrete. Uh, and then you ventured in to the tunnel. No water flowed there except for a trickle at the bottom, but the air was moist. Uh, and it got your attention. Why was the air? Well, I guess the water was trickling at the bottom of the tunnel. And there in the tunnel you saw where different holes branched off, and these holes were carved by human hands. And the tracks uh, weaved in and out of uh, uh, the different uh, tunnel offshoots, uh, the mine. This actually was the mine branching off uh, from this water-carved tunnel. And even where the track uh, split and doubled back, uh, so that for a time the ride would go in reverse. None of this, they said, she doesn't get any of this. Uh, but you chose the left track, uh, so you kind of missed some of the side side portions of the ride. And you climbed up uh, to the top uh, where uh, the peak of the ride, where they were standing overlooking a valley uh, which forced perspective made it look like it was miles and miles away and you were so high up. It really was the, the, the top point of the ride. But there was Curly Sue in her mining garb with a model of the town that you had left below and a table in front of her. And she was pointing uh, to the valley where the town would be. And you could even see... Wait, I didn't come from there, but it almost looks like I did, this forced perspective. You climbed in, climbed down into the valley to see that it wasn't hundreds of feet away, but it seemed as if it was. That's called forced perspective, my dear. But you, you, I guess you forced yourself to get to the perspective. In Curly Sue was operational. You didn't. You realized you had to push down on a part of the track to activate her, talking about her vision for the town, and pointing to a giant gold nugget that would make it possible. And there was other residents there smiling at Curly Sue's smiling face. And then you headed further along the track, uh, and you caught your first view of a dam. Again, using the perspective and also the actual height of the ride uh, to make it even seem further away. Now, this one you had to do some uh, snooping, I guess, uh, investigating. But the dam stood there, uh, but the water was just a trickle. Until you headed back further along, I guess you had learned from the Curly Sioux uh, tronic that you needed to uh, trigger the water flowing. It saved energy that way. Uh, but when you triggered the water, you saw how the rushing water was headed. Uh, and again, because of the perspective, you said, oh, that's the mine, uh, that's the tunnel. But then it would be diverted away by 
a rock and earthen dam rushing to the side of the tunnel where a few uh, miniature atronics uh, who looked like, you know, they were just far away. Miners were standing dry in the entrance to the tunnel. And you said, huh, if that was, uh, if the water was really rushing, uh, those miners, the dam's keeping them. And you followed further along the edge of the dam. And then the track turned to, so you'd look, that was off of the left side of the car. And then it used the right side of the car, another turn, so you could see uh, your first view of a steam bot. Which, because you spent so much time at the park, you weren't totally shocked to, to see a part construction vehicle, part robot, uh, uh, a steam machine, once called a steam person by the inventor Flockmacher. Uh, but these uh, steam bots uh, were purchased uh, and employed. You would soon find out who they were in the employ of. Uh, but at first you jumped over oh, the helping Curly Sue build this dam, uh, divert the water. And if, as you traveled a little bit further on, you saw, and again, you had to trigger this, uh, but the steambots are pushing the top of a mountain uh, off into a, the valley uh, to begin the mining process. A very uh, uh, fancy and interesting effect with uh, projection. I couldn't believe the miner got that working again and real effects and water and sound. And once it went through, cycled through twice, it never worked again, which you kind of seem disappointed at. But you got the gist. Uh, uh, these uh, steambots had moved part of the valley and created uh, a new path for the water. And then you headed down uh, the the lift hill, the main lift hill. Now, you did miss, uh, I can't judge you right away, but I will, that you did miss another turn in the track, uh, but it was hidden, so you headed down the main lift hill, where you saw Curly Sue talking to one Edouard Penua, uh, uh, the person uh, giving uh, the steam bots, and, and it seemed to be shaking hands and, and making a deal. Uh, the steam bots behind Panua and uh, Curly Sue uh, smiling and giving Panua uh, in one hand uh, a bag that said gold on it, uh, a big bag of gold. And even further behind Curly Sue, it was uh, dramatically enlarged, uh, but it was uh, two sets of contracts uh, and you studied them, and, and actually the uh, the creators, the, the engineers, had uh, put a lot of work into the language of the contracts uh, for immersive purposes uh, to create a superior attraction that I am. And the one contract was Curly Sue's first offer to Panua, which was a stake in the mine, and uh, described uh, a kind of partnership, but uh, Curly Sue had crossed it all out uh, 
and Benua had to put no. And then the contract uh, that was signed at the bottom by Dwapanua and Curly Sue, witnessed by some town person, uh, Harold Hamburger was the name on that. It'd be funny for some reason. Uh, it, it described a payment of gold uh, uh, to Benua. Uh, instead of, you know, just straight gold or some, I think, I can't even remember the pounds. Uh, and uh, then uh, after that, lower down the uh, climb hill uh, was uh, another tronic of Curly Sue uh, plan- planning out uh, the vision for the mine. And figuring, huh, if I could just move the dirt. And there was another good effect. It was Curly Sue actually moving real dirt. Uh, it wasn't dirt, it was ground plastic. Uh, and actually inside of the plastic was uh, metal, so it was magnetized. That's how it majestically, if your ride ever got stuck, uh, the dirt would majestically turn back flat. Uh, so that Curly Sue's character could then make it into a dam. Which then would be remagnetized into the dam shape. I hate to tell you all this, but you figured it out anyway. And uh, seeing, oh, this just might work. Uh, and then a scene of Curly Sue buying a claim and then pointing to the map uh, right in the middle of the river, the, the, the pointing to there, and everyone laughing at Curly Sue. And then uh, yet another Curly Sue, a lot of uh, main character in this ride, of course. Uh, uh, then at the beginnings of the ride, uh, the lift hill, where Curly Sue was walking through a town, uh, not like the town you had left, uh, more like a collection of tents, a camp, I guess. It wasn't a town. Spent so much time there, I call it a town. Uh, with children without shoes and people sneezing and Curly Sue cooking uh, and, and bringing food and sharing uh, with all the other miners, uh, uh, just trying to, you know, get by. And that was where the uh, uh, ride started. And again, it reinforced, uh, they, they called it uh, Curly Sue's uh, Folly was where they were pointed up the hill. And a beautiful thing in the, uh, that I guess you hadn't observed, but maybe it had implanted yourself, was inside the roof of the ride, uh, in the awnings or whatever you'd call it. Uh, the, under the roof were some murals of the same story uh, that we had observed. Just the first part, uh, Curly Sue being a part of the town and the town or the camp uh, not being the best place to live and Curly Sue helping out around there. And then Curly Sue buying a claim in the middle of a river, rushing, not just a river, a rushing uh, a canyon. And everyone laughing and saying, uh, Curly Sue, like you're not going to be able to mine there. What a, what a, we like you, Curly Sue, but you're a goof. And then, and I think it was interesting, you know, because it was a very, uh, not impressionistic drawing, but, uh, it's easy to ignore up there in the roof area, uh, done in a style that was, uh, 
Kalia, if you knew what you were looking at, at least say, well, that's just some sort of uh, Western montage. And then Curly Sue getting the idea for the mine and actually filling in some gaps of Curly Sue uh, pushing rocks and stuff uh, and, and that not working. And then, fly, again, more backstory, Flockmacher, the inventor of the steam bot, and Edward Panua at a uh, World's Fair making a deal uh, for exclusive distribution of the steam person. And then eventually Curly Sue making a deal with Edward Panua. And then the building of the mine. And all those things, but again, easily forgotten, but very well. The paint they used uh, uh, was uh, quite, a, you know, they had a sealant over it, so it's lasted some time. I'm, I'm a well-made attraction. And there in the load area, uh, you know, the, the, the caretaker only restored two of the mine cars, not the usual full train. And you sat in the mine cars for a while, and you pondered, uh, and you tried to get the ride started, pressing buttons and wandering around and trying to find the uh, machine room and finding it and nothing going on. You could see the power running to the the tronics and the audio and things, uh, and the big water pumps, uh, which you kind of, you kind of said, oh, what are these big water pumps? Because you hadn't seen everything. You thought you knew it all. Uh, but eventually, after some testing, you realized you would have to push the two mine cars up the lift hill. And because of the, you know, because it couldn't roll backwards with every click, you could relax. Uh, so you managed to do it. Uh, and I think it made you stronger, pushing the car up uh, a little bit at a time. And taking a few days and soaking in again the beginnings of the story. The camp and Curly Sue and Curly Sue's crazy idea. And in this part of the ride, sometimes the audio worked and sometimes it didn't. So you kind of got to, you said, okay. And you liked Curly Sue a little bit, uh, patting Curly Sue on the shoulders and, uh, but, uh, only a patch. You didn't hug Curly Sue. And Edward Penur, I think you, uh, I mean, it was a way, that, you know, even Edward Penur's face was constructed in a scowl that, uh, it kept you at God. And I liked how you, even when you were pushing the card up, you took time to kind of, uh, you lived in the camp uh, for a time. Those tents actually, obviously, if it's a tent on the outside, it's a tent on the inside. And pretending you were Curly Sue and uh, trying to dress, taking some of the clothes off the, the children tronics and putting them on. You know, one thing I forgot to mention in the uh, the, the, the mural that wasn't there was Curly Sue's initial mining attempts, uh, uh, which kind of explained Curly Sue's a little bit of gold she had to sell uh, to, to give to trade uh, with uh, Edward Panua for the... Uh, Steam bots, and it was just a rental. I guess that's not apparent. Uh, but uh, Curly Sue's hard work and Curly Sue, you know, trading her kindness and her support around town for tiny, tiny scraps of gold that she saved up. Uh, 
And finally you got the car to the top and you wondered before you pushed over the hill you already had enough experience with attractions to know the cart would start to roll. And so you scouted ahead, but you, and that's where you noticed the turn through the doors uh, and that it was going in somewhere. And so you scouted it out ahead of time and saw that the car turned into the inventor's workshop uh, and went through. And so you figured out you could close it. There was also doors on the other side of the inventor's workshop, uh, which you found some sandbags. He said, well, I'll slow this car down here if I don't want to keep going into the unknown. And that was a, the first part of the ride that was surprising to guess. Uh, it looked like the car was going to go one way, right to Curly Sue's uh, uh, vision for the town and the mine and all that, uh, but it really went left uh, into the workshop where Flockmarker uh, was with Edward Panua. And Panua was laughing at Curly Sue, and Flockmarker was saying, This is never going to work. Uh, uh, but in you, the ride, the car itself would have to, do, you know, dodge industrial equipment working on assembling the uh, the steam bots and, you know, vats of things. It was a fun part of the ride, and it was in that dark day glow night ride style. Uh, but it was mostly just that more underlying Edward Panua, uh, which rhymes with manure. And then you even noticed that when you got out to the rock slide part, uh, that's where the car returned to, uh, that it was tilting. And that's why there was a ride switch. Uh, so you'd feel like you were tilting into the rock slide. And then again, tilting. Oh, no, there's uh, the force perspective of Great Canyon. Oh, ride tilt again. And then a little down and then a little uphill. Uh, which gave the guests a little wee-wee-woo. Uh, but it would actually, your car got caught on the hill because it didn't have the little uh, drive it needed to just go up a few more clicks. So you had to push it up uh, again up the crest. And then the car ran back down towards Curly Sue's vision. Uh, and then you heard the sound of rushing water. And again, this is when you, the car started to go into the mine. So it did pick up uh, some pace here. Uh, but again, you hadn't explored all this. So it, it explored where Curly Sue again was telling the miners, don't worry, this uh, dam is strong. It's not going in the, you know, the miners objected. Well, what if the mine was to, or what if the dam wasn't to work out? Uh, this whole tunnel would be full of water. And Curly Sue saying, don't worry, this is like uh, an entire mountain was pushed to change the direction of the river. And then there's lots of gold effects. Uh, but you started to notice something, again, because the ride was designed to go through this area twice, uh, that a lot of the uh, miners uh, had to steam bot. So you said, wait a second, there's something else here. But you also got to see you would go around in a circle uh, around a rushing, rushing waterfall. 
uh, which is very exciting, uh, even for you. And then you said, well, and I said, don't, do, don't use that for bathing. It's recycled water. And then a few more turns inside of the mine, which really wasn't, we weren't in the mine anymore, but there was Curly Sue's vault, uh, and Curly Sue loading gold into the vaults, and Edward Panua there arguing with Curly Sue. And this is where the story, you know, the gaps in the story you had had. Uh, Curly Sue saying, no, no, no. And Edward Panua pointing at the gold, and then it was a montage again. And then Curly Sue pointing at the contract, uh, saying, basically, you had your chance, Edward Panua. And then again in another tunnel, Edward Panua uh, pointing at the town. Again, again this was beautiful. It was through a hole in the mine, and there was a moon over, uh, for, again, a distant model of the town, which looked real, with twinkling lights. Uh, and that was just in the background. The depth of the detail was in my attraction again. Uh, but Curly Sue was uh, telling the miners, Cur- or no, uh, Edward Panua, I'm getting carried away, was telling the miners, hey, we're getting ripped off by Curly Sue. Just a schoolhouse. Curly Sue's making off with the gold. Why don't you do that? And then the townsfield saying, well, it's not a bad deal, you know. A, children, a child showing off her fancy nice teeth, uh, in that, and then Edward Panua just getting frustrated, and the town saying, well, maybe we were, and then the townspeople arguing with Curly Sue. And I loved, uh, you know, another thing I love about myself, my ride, is that uh, none of this was expected, and you missed it all. And again, the ride went deeper, because the townspeople uh, hassling Curly Sue is only a distraction, and on your next turn... And this all took place in a ride building, you know. I mean, you know now, but uh, it looked just like the inside of a mine. And you did like living there for a time uh, before, because uh, uh, you stopped the ride. Uh, you stopped the ride so often, and then you'd have to push it back. And I said, she is going to be a very strong young woman. I never thought she'd continue to stop the ride. I thought you would just ride through it just once uh, first to see it. Uh, And, of course, I assumed you were stopping it because uh, you didn't want to ride the rush. But you seemed to be getting at the bottom of what the rush really was. And so you would restart it and take your time, your sweet time, I guess. Uh, but you saw how the, the the distraction of the town versus Curly Sue, the townspeople, allowed Edouard Panua uh, to do, I guess, the unthinkable, which was uh, to send the steambots uh, to the dam. And again, one of my premier uh, uh, set pieces, I think they called them, of, uh, of design... And again, a nice full moon night scene of the town at the, uh, an opening in the mine that looked out over the valley and the dam and the townspeople, uh, discuss. And this was 2D, uh, but 2D moving pieces, uh, were thematically going along with the style of my attraction. Everyone arguing with Curly Sue, but then in the backdrop, uh, 
at Wat Panur and the steambots uh, moving uh, the base of the mine and the top of the mine at the same time, and Panur laughing, and uh, and then Curly Seuss turning and saying, "Oh no, no!" Uh, everyone in the mine carts, uh, and he said, "Oh wait, the perspective of the ride has changed. I am a townsperson." Uh, and then water spraying through holes, more of a gimmick to spray you in the face of the hair. And the ride twisted and turned till the dramatic exit, uh, back where you had climbed up, but now is much different for you heard sound effects and real water sound effects, uh, rumbling. And then you, you did see, Cur- or, uh, not Curly Sue, but Edward Panua and the Steambots, uh, it twisted to the left and them getting caught uh, in the water. And then people jumping in a minecart. So you said, well, am I, is this a mirror image? or So some confusing things. And then the dramatic portion of the ride, the big hills and turns, but not just hills and turns with water swooshing first ahead of the minecart. And somehow you say, I just missed that water. And then another turn and the water rushing behind you. And then another turn and into the canyon and the big tunnel. And the water actually chugging behind your car. And people in, in my heyday could not believe this. And they even said, how is this you know, a good idea? And the engineers explained it all. Uh, but, you know, just a swift uh, run down the hill to stay just ahead and Curly Sue, you know, you'd see reflection. I, I liked also the shadow effects uh, towards the end of the ride where you would look at the shadow of your car, what you thought was the shadow of the car. You went, it really was a projection of Curly Sue and the townspeople in a mine car getting away. And then racing down the water, uh, bursting, you know, thundering, and you just heading in, and, and then the whole town getting flooded, the water flooding out all the t- second and first story windows and doors. Again, looking like it was going to, just a special effect, though. As you broke in the water, the water would slow down the ride. But it was also an oh, oh no moment, because as it slowed down the ride, you thought you were going to get swooshed by water coming out of the town's windows. Uh, but really, the water, it was just a sound effect. So, I mean, a look effect. The water was really rushing, but it wasn't ever, you know, you, a little mist on the face, and that was it. And then if you really listened, you you know, you had to pay attention for the final part. But there's the people of the town. Uh, most people were too busy cheering to hear the people of the town say, well, Curly Sue, can't you rebuild the town? There's no worry. And Curly Sue saying, the last gold headed out uh and the last train out of town. It was the last payment due uh, to build the town. My mind's tapped uh, out. But you heard it, and you heard it clearly, because there was no other guests there, no cheering. And I saw your face go across. And then you rode the ride over and over again, as so many guests did. You didn't have to wait in line. You did have to push the car up the hill, so... Which probably took longer than waiting in line, but maybe less frustrating. 
and made you much stronger. But you wrote it again and again with this cross look on your face, and then you got out of the car too one time. You stormed through the ride, pointing at Curly Sue and scolding Curly Sue every time you encountered her. And Edward Benua, uh, you did more than just uh, scold. You crossed your arms and uh, uh, raised your voice. Uh, but that wasn't enough for you. Uh, then you went into the room and you shut off all the water. You turned off all the water pumps and you drained the water out of the park. Even my water breaks, you drained away. Uh, I said, what is she about? Uh, and you know, part of me at that time said, how dare she change my ride, my perfect story. But you still didn't, that furrowed brow between your eyes, it didn't relent. And then you filled the mine car up uh, again and again with the tronics, which were quite heavy and bolted to the floor. And you ripped all my tronics out uh, uh, with a frustration that drove you week after week. And you would ride uh, them down to the town where the backup brakes would stop the cart. You wouldn't even be in the cart. You would hop out. You had a little way to jump out. Uh, uh, and then all the Tronics would get ejected from the car, and you would put them in the town. And once you had all the townspeople and all the versions of Curly Sue and Edouard Panua there, you started to design. I said, what is she about? She's building out the fake buildings. And you added... Uh, table, you took tables and chairs and even a few bathtubs from other attractions. And you put the people in the bathtubs and under the tables, uh, and you scolded them as well. Uh, for not, I guess, for, for putting up with both Curly Sue and Edward Panua. And you said, you one day, you know, I'm going to wash you all away. I've had enough, uh, and I said, for someone without, uh, I said, she, she's never had an authority figure in her life, but she's quite stern with these, uh, these townspeople in particular. He said, what are you thinking? Even though you put them in the tub and put a door even above the tub, he said, what are you, uh, hiding your tub? And I, I guess I looked at you at first with, you know, a dismay, but I learned, uh, to have some pride. Because uh, I guess I had been fed up for so long uh, for Curly Sue for being soft and Edouard Panua for being crafty and the townspeople for falling and swaying back and forth for not appreciating uh, the town and Curly Sue. Again, with Curly Sue not uh, uh, seeing Edouard Panua for what Edouard Panua was. Uh, as an attraction, I guess I felt the most for the steam people because I said, well, they were just the steam people doing, you know, just doing construction. And now, you know, technically if the ride was re if the whole, if my whole story was real, they'd be rusted, uh, and gone away. Uh, but that was it for you. You, uh, seemed very pleased. You sw swept your hands like you cleaned them. And you moved back in. You didn't alter the 
uh, murals, and actually you slept with murals again uh, under my awning, under my roof, uh, uh, you know, until the weather changed. Through the summer, you've been, you were here for so long into the fall, and uh, I guess part of me, uh, before you arrived, would have been stern with you. But I do understand it now, and I understand that you let me say, I've had enough with all of you, and you're negotiating. And, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, Curly Sue, just, uh, don't, you can't be super nice, and Edward Panua, uh, just get it to, you know, with these townspeople running around. So thank you, thank you, and I'm glad you sleep, uh, still. When it's warm, with me in the loading area, resting under my wooden roof, open air, the breeze carrying you through as you rest at night, gently listening to the sounds of the evening good night. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of our uh, ongoing uh, serial uh no, no, so I guess it's a episodic uh, yeah, a series that doesn't really have a title and doesn't really have an introduction. But for a transition, I just want you to picture yourself riding a bike. Uh, could be, maybe it's even one of those uh, bikes that doesn't move. I'm not sure what they're called, but uh, it could be a bicycle built for two or one or a stationary bike. Uh, even one of those new high-tech ones with the commercials where you say, wow, uh, these people should be in a commercial. And you're pedaling. And the motion of the pedals, the sound of the wheels, uh, the forward motion or the illusion of a forward motion, uh, the near white noise you generated. Maybe you're even on one of those fan bikes. My dad had one of those, but it's, uh, it's nice. Uh, it's calming and it's, uh, we're on a straight path. Uh, it's dim, but you can see everything and you trust the path is clear. Uh, cause you say, wait a second, this is just a clear path. Uh, and it's nice and gentle, rolling and pedaling over and over, uh, like the wheels that keep on turning. The wheels that they do keep a turning. Uh, but these wheels aren't, aren't big. I guess you could consider them larger than small wheels. And there's the wheels, uh, uh, that the pedal crank a thing Majig connects to, and the pedals themselves are, have all wheels or circles. Um, and there's the bike wheels. You could consider the handlebars a wheel. Like, I guess you say, well, what's the difference between a circle and a wheel? And you might chuckle and say, well, what? Uh, actually, there's a big difference between a circle and a wheel. And I would say, well, in cartoons, there isn't, uh, you know, except sometimes it was a square wheel, and that was usually the butt of a far side joke. So uh, you're riding along, you're pedaling along, and you're transitioning from your bed 
into a world, uh, into a queue for a ride, uh, with long, well-lit hallways, uh, where you see our heroine, and you begin to rest. Ah, yes, you arrived uh, here, finally. And I had been waiting for you. Uh, I know some of the other rides were concerned with impressing you. I wasn't really worried about that. It wasn't overconfidence. I was the last attraction opened at the parks here. The newest... And I don't think I need to say say it. You, if you were here at the time of my opening, in the reaction to my opening, I was considered uh, the story behind my ride actually got more uh, positive. I don't, is it positive criticism? I'm already forgetting. So good to have you here, though. But we, we our, this ride, and, and I, you know, I couldn't explain it to you when you first arrived. Uh, the fact that this story of my ride is a prequel uh, to the third most successful uh, Hollywood blockbuster of all time. It had come out a few years before, and immediately... Uh, well, they they finally as soon as the movie came out, they greenlit what had already been. They had started working on uh, eight months before, expecting the movie to do quite well, but not as well as it did. And they had planned many sequels for, for the movie, and that was part of the, the, the process of developing the ride. Was they said, well, maybe we should make the ride a prequel. Uh, since we're making a sequel film and, you know, the dates of movies and rides don't always intersect perfectly. And this was uh, the, the last big ticketed ride, too. And because uh, the movie had done so well, people were very optimistic and so lots was poured into the story behind the attraction. Uh, the ride itself was based on a our sister park's ride of a different title, uh, very up-to-date technology, but nothing extremely new. In fact, the ride would be a mirror layout to that ride, which had opened eight years earlier. Uh, but that's why the engineers, uh, put so much work into the storytelling aspect and the characters of that blockbuster film were so beloved and uh, the, the tactic, you know, that the, uh, engineers and the story, uh, engineers, uh, put into this, uh, prequel attraction was not what people expected, but it told, it was just interesting, I guess. I guess I am full of myself, uh, but, you know, what would an attraction be if she wasn't full of herself? Uh, I, I mean, I guess it could be like some of the other attractions you've encountered. But I thought about it long, uh, expecting your arrival, because you had never, now you've seen films before, but mostly park film. And you've never seen the movie. 
uh, that my ride is a prequel to uh, Panda Force uh, was the movie, of course. Uh, if any historians were checking on uh, movies, I don't know that there will be, an, uh, it may be permanently the third most successful Hollywood blockbuster of all time. So I guess it's good, you, you, you know, they didn't make a sequel, they didn't have a chance to make a sequel or many other blockbuster films, and seeing the prequel, I don't know what it'll do. I think that there was so much uh, that uh, Panda Force and that tell, but people felt uh, so attached to the characters, uh, the heroes and heroines of the movie. Uh, that they really loved my attraction. You know, we're talking unprecedented waits, uh, three-hour waits uh, to see this attraction, uh, where they eventually did quickly do away with the queue because it was too long and tested out different reservation systems in ways to keep it fair so that people could just report back to the ride. They tested that in other attractions, uh, but they never needed it as much. uh, But I'm talking too much. I'm talking. You arrived and you explored the queues as you do. And our queue had kind of prepared for both, not three-hour waits, but it was a long queue. Uh, mirroring the queue at her sister park to carry, uh, because the ride at her sister park had to be built far. Um, uh, it's a pad, what the engineers call the place where they build the attraction, had to be beyond the berm, as they said. And so you had to follow a very circuitous route, uh, in the sister ride. It set up the adventure aspect of the ride. Uh, but in this, it set up the story, uh, the world, and the characters, uh, the members, the future members of Panda Force, in a way. As you walked, uh, you went by their schoolroom, and not all of them were at the same school. So different school things, uh, seeing the students uh, behaving and you quickly learned that the members of Panda Force were far than perfect students in, uh, interpersonally. They all had, uh, issues you wouldn't think. You'd say, well, if I was choosing who was going to be Pink Panda, I don't know if I would choose that behavior. Like, uh, so again, I wondered what your experience was, uh, but you were really taken as a, Again, our ride, like a few other newer ones, was pretty hermetically sealed, and uh, so most of the attraction was fairly intact. Uh, but we, you know, the queue was able to do exposition about the characters, not really their backstory, just to who they were as uh, to, to tween teen uh, teens. I guess, I guess uh, in the queue, they were tweens. Uh, at the end of the queue, they were teens. Uh, but you saw how Pink Panda uh, did not have an abundant attitude. 
and uh, was very worried about uh, shortages and things. And and then you'd have the teachers talking about life on the archipelago as uh, that's where Panda Force, uh, the film, took place as well. And the great archipelago, uh, which was a metaphorical land or a fictional land of... Uh, Islands, archipelago, with a major city at the center. And as we got to meet Orange Panda and Blue Panda, Purple Panda and Red Panda, can you see Orange Panda like uh, doing, like, uh, Orange Panda wasn't always uh, the most supportive as a student. This is pre Panda. But everyone just knew them. Even right away, uh, Orange Panda, currently known as the Protective Panda. But in this guy, case, uh, in the tween years, uh, not always, not always except of Orange Panda's stuff. So we'd see a cumulative of bad choices, and again, and then a story being eked out with either the news or the adults saying, well, uh, Smagira uh, is, you know, in the, the great garbage patch. Uh, uh, so things from our world, too, uh, were uh, all coming together. And Smagira would come out of the sea and visit the archipelago islands and say, hey, let me take an island for you polluting the sea and the sky. And I'll just take it down here uh, under the under the sea for a while. And usually it was an outlying island. But still the people said, what are we to do? And why does Smagira, who was the, the, the human name, uh, for this uh, uh, sea being, very large sea being. And again, we would see maybe Purple Band, uh, you know, kind of telling on other students or judging their behavior. And you say, but Purple Panda, the Vindicator and the Validator, was a tattletale in school? What, uh... But you you didn't really know that you would just look in on these home scenes and I think you picked up on the the story oh more uh, moving towards the big city how are we going to prepare uh, are we one archipelago or are we just a collection of i like not a collection of just islands uh, and we, we would also see uh, red panda. Uh, who was always the one, Red Panda, the planning panda, panda, uh, separate from the panda planner. But uh, in this case, Red Panda just kind of reacted to things back as a school student. And I think they use the the cue to overexpose you uh, if you weren't a, if you didn't see. Panda Force uh, 30 or 40 times in the theater. Some children did and adults. 
Blue Panda was uh, th- that would be the comic relief uh, if if they laid out a big piece of news about Smagira. Then they would show Blue Panda, who was a bit of a bumbler. Blue Panda was so uh, concerned with thinking and being perfect and of what could happen uh, that Blue Panda was very clumsy. You see, Blue Panda, the most balanced of the panda force, uh, the one you associate with uh, like a zen-like attitude, He's a bumbler. Uh, but then people said, oh, it makes perfect sense, especially because, you know, all of the actors uh, from the film and actresses, uh, they voiced the characters and stood as models uh, for the tronics and the projections. And then as the queue ran to an end, it became the call, the president and, and uh, the, the elected officials of the archipelago. I think I may have mispronounced my own attraction. You know, I'm getting old as an attraction, even though I'm the newest here at the park. Uh, it's a call for all the youth. Uh, uh, the call that we would uh, find a way uh, that if we banded together as islands, uh, we could defend and that they had a training center, a training base, and every youth, uh, every able-bodied adult had already been called, uh, but they had a secret plan, and they called the youth out to, to a special island from all the islands. Uh, it was a great mountain at its center, and within that mountain, purportedly, was a, a, a training center with a great uh, uh, former leader, Octavia. And she was to train, I guess we would say, the Panda Force. But in the queue and in the story, uh, the, the next batch of heroes and heroines. And then the last bit about the queue was both the technicalities uh, for guests riding the ride, but also casting the guest in the role of uh, a, por- a reporter uh, embedded uh, to go along. And, and the ride took place in Jeeps. Now, those were not functioning on my attraction. And luckily, you had found a bicycle somewhere. So that was a little bit embarrassing for me. But uh, the Jeeps, even when the, the ride was functioning, they always had issues. But uh, the guest would be a team of reporters covering uh, this historical day uh, as the children made their way uh, to, the, to the training island and into the basin. Uh, very little details were given to the children. Uh, other than the fact that maybe this was a test uh, and that all, not all of the children, you know, only the, the greatest of the heroes and the heroines uh, uh, could make it to the training center. Uh, but they knew that they would need other people in support roles. Uh, but, they, you know, that, that just bogged down the story trying to explain that, uh, you know, some children wouldn't be. Uh, the lead heroines and heroines, but they could, uh, 
Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, that part is just, was it a test uh, to get into training base on Training Island? And that's where the ride began with the reporters setting out. Uh, and the jeep would go across children running. And we would see children getting tired. And then we started to go in over hallways, uh, which you could see on your bike, even though they were designed with lighting and essentially great big hallways, just as part of the ride. And children running, and then we could pick out the children from the queue or from the movie Panda Force uh, and see them. Uh, and none of our children were very heroic, and none of them were in very good shape, and none of them were good at finding their way to the mountain. And it even played in, you know, you know, the children being more worried about, the, you know, the tween teen hang-ups, uh, more worried about watching videos or looking good or eating or being with their friends or missing their parents, whatever uh, tropes uh, these children fell into them. And eventually a few of the children found a fire and evening had fallen now, luckily, you were on a bike, so you could really soak all this in. And it gathered around the fire. Uh, were some children, but then, as we said, Orange Panda was not exactly the nicest uh, to teen. And the only children left around the fire were the five that we know so well now. And they sat around this uh, fire trying to sleep and arguing with one another. And kind of getting on each other's nerves. Uh, but eventually, uh, Purple Panda, she said, you, you know, I don't know. I think this is a test and uh, to get inside. And they said, well, what are we, if we don't fail the test? And she said, probably give us a secondary or third, you know, like greasing, you know, like uh, repairing stuff, uh, a support role. Or who knows, and the kid, none of the children, of course, wanted that uh, support role. And uh, she said, we got it. This is a test. I'm positive of it, and we're lost. We're failing the test. Uh, we have to find a way uh, in, and we'll have to use our wits. And uh, despite the fact that we don't like one another and, you know, she picked apart everybody's downsides, she said, uh, we have to come up with a plan. And they came up with a plan again that was not heroic. Uh, some of the children remembered some of the more adept uh, students from the ride over and that were very, that had very overly heroic qualities and said, well, maybe that person would come try to rescue And so uh, they uh, eventually, and this was, again, this part was, uh, you wouldn't, if you weren't riding a bike, you could have missed all this. Uh, and people didn't have the chance to ride this ride constantly to pick up on all these details, just passing these little scenes. And some of it was just paintings and things. Yeah, but you were really drawn in by their 
behavior, their imperfect, very human behavior. And eventually they got a couple other much uh, more adept students uh, to lead them towards the base uh, in exchange for LOV, thinking that, you know, oh, I'm so, you know, love, lovey dovey, you know, or of working as a team. And them, 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 uh, uh, sending the, the, the heroic, uh, quote unquote, to that had helped the five of them off in the wrong direction once again. And our team of uh, five found their way into the base. And uh, they thought they were so good and they found their way into this entrance chamber which was very set up with old panda statues and uh, some sort of panda-based belief system. And a voice came out of a stone panda, you know, about choice and choosing. And this was a part where you thought you had a choice where the ride was going to go. Uh, you know, do you like, uh, do you want to take the path of, and then it showed the pink, it didn't hint about the panda force yet, uh, you know, the bay, but it used different colors of the pandas as different possible paths for training, uh, the path of the balance, you know, blue, but you know, it, it was, but, uh, then at the last second, the path turned to the far right, uh, and the voice said, but you have already chosen. And then the ride would move forward uh, to the right, away from the uh, different paths. Uh, and they ended up in a room. And standing in the center of the room, at the top uh, front side of the room, was Octavia, the trainer. And she said, you, you know, you chose, I, this was a test and the five of you failed. And then the five, uh, heroes, uh, and heroines, uh, argued with, uh, the trainer Octavia and she laughed and she said, uh, uh we've got reports of, uh, Smagira coming one last chance for you to be heroic, uh, would be to run off uh, uh, down here uh, and create a distraction for Smagira so we can seal the base and, uh, you know, the the real good students are already in the training base up top. You know, otherwise you'll just all go back home and, uh, you know, you won't even get a support role because you... And they said there was no, you know, back and forth... Uh, and Octavia said, and then Smagir of all people broke over the speakers and said, Octavia, this is Smagira. This is the first time Smagira had speaking English, spoken uh, the English language, and everyone said, it is silence. Uh, and uh, Smagira said, no, Octavia, you've fallen into my trap, uh, because I'm going to take the top of the mountain away and uh, into the sea with me. And activity, well, that's where all the students, all the training. And uh, Smaggy said, exactly, all your prize students. Uh, 
I guess you'll be down there with those five students you're busy shaming or whatever. Good luck. Uh, and then there's a rumbling in the ride, and Octavia frowned greatly. And then some, you know, video feed of this supposedly security video of uh, Smigear taking the top of the mountain. And then it would change scenes and be with Octavia, who said, oh, Octavia was very down at this point and said, well, we seem to be stuck down here. We're in the lowest, uh, lowest part of the base. Uh, and it looks like there was some over spillage shift from the top of the mountain being taken, but there's plenty of food down here. Uh, this was, you know, where some of the support staff was going to live and, uh, below us was R and D. Though none of you, we didn't have any of you thinking you'd be in R and D. Uh, but the rest of the base is gone. Just us, just us six. Uh, and Octavia said, "I failed. I failed. I, I guess I shouldn't. I should have. Uh, not only did I let you down, I've let down all the other uh, students and the archipelago. Uh, for nothing will be. You know, the whole nine yards." Uh, and with that, Octavia went into a deep sleep. Uh, and the five students, uh, they ate at first. And again, this was a, this is only, now this was all content that was in the ride, but you could only experience it in multiple ride throughs or if you went through the ride on a bike. Uh, all these long discussions. Uh, you know, the engineers were like, well, if the ride breaks down, then each uh, four-minute scene is actually uh, 18 two-minute scenes that could be consumed at any point because uh, the pictures and the images tell the story just as much as the words. Uh, but in this case, uh, I'm just recounting when you first experienced I guess I'm just uh, wanting you to remember uh the pain, the beginnings of the panda force, uh, and so the five students, uh, they went back to their old ways of arguing and saying, "Well, we'll find a way out of here, out of this base," uh, is what we'll do. And they say, "Well, what about this Octavia?" And they said, "We'll just leave her here, or whatever. She's just sleeping and down because she failed us." Uh, and you'd see Octavia could hear that and. A squirm. Uh, what, and then they say, well, what is there to go back to? Uh, Smug here, there's a... Uh, they say, what is it? What was with the adults just planning on us 18-year-olds uh, saving the world anyway? Uh, it doesn't seem like the greatest of plans. Uh, how would we even stop uh, Smug here anyway? Uh, this person here is supposed to train us... Uh, but then Pink Panda, she she said, uh, huh, like, uh, she said, I guess I feel like I failed too. I didn't realize. Uh, and looked back and the students, the five of them started to share what we'd seen in the queue at the time, saying we're perfect and saying, well, and they realized they had all that in common, that none of them were perfect or very good to begin with. Uh, if you were going to be judged and, you know, on your just your public behavior or whatever, that they said, well, we're just, uh, 
people, kids making kid choices. Uh, and they said, well, should we take Octavia with us as they started to grow? And this bond between them grew, bond of imperfection. And they said, maybe we should try to save her. Maybe we can't get out of here. Maybe you're right. Even if we get out, Smagir is out there. And they said, well, how would we save Octavia? Uh, and they said, well, what if we let her train us and, you know, think that, uh, and they said, that's a good idea. And they said, well, how are we, she just keeps sleeping. And, and they said, well, let's just start training ourselves. And then she'll naturally start to correct us when we don't do it wrong. And they said, there's got to be a training room. Even with R, there's got to be an R&D training room. So they started exploring deeper into the lower levels of the base and they found a, the giant training room, and that's where the next part of the ride, and most of the ride, this huge, impressive chamber, uh, strategically shadowed so that you could go through different layers, uh, and everything would be revealed one part at a time. And it started with the students training, and then activity. This was a montage uh, as you circled the outside of the room, and then, you know, Octavia basically saying, that's not how you do a duck and roll. That's not Tai Chi. And uh, this is, you know, what a, you know, flowing motion is. And eventually Octavia being reborn in some sense and training these five. Uh, first in basic martial arts, and I guess that's where you spend a lot of your time because all of this was real motion tronics and uh, based on real uh, training techniques. You spend uh, hours and weeks down there uh, training with the Panda Force. And again, this was uh, the physical fitness you would take with you to other attractions as well. And... Even though you were younger than the panda force, I felt like you were in love with one or two of the pandas. Uh, and I said, she's, uh, I, I, I said, that is just amazing uh, that she, what she sees uh, in these heroines and heroes, uh, it's awakened something within her on more than one level. But you trained with them and watched them train, watched uh, Octavia's face, and then again watched some of the news feeds to tell the story of Smagira and to set a ticking clock for the end of the ride, of course. And the ticking clock, Smagira sent to say, well, I'm going to take the rest of the archipelago into the sea all for one. Uh, meant that... Uh, uh, Octavia needed to reveal something. And that was that deeper in the base, uh, in R&D, where the, uh, the, 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 panda, the panda defense force, the panda force, uh, which were uh, a giant panda, you know, not just suits, ships, uh, panda ships, uh, each one with a different skill set that each of you had been training for. And, of course, being able to be combined into one giant panda, uh, Pandera, 
uh, the great panda, you know, bandera, 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 uh, it was what you would say as you assembled into panda, panda body, panda arm, panda leg, panda leg two. And then you started to train as panda force, uh, with the panda suits, uh, but still, Octavius, we won't be ready. Uh, like out there, we still don't have enough training. Uh, we've just been training in here. And they gave Purple Panda an idea, and Purple Panda said, Well, Octavia, Smigira knows we're in here. Uh, what if we uh, uh, go back, revert to our old ways, our old crafty ways, and uh, get Smigira to come here? And uh, Purple Panda said, what do you think? And Octavius said, well, what would be? And Octavius said, I guess, uh, I, I guess, uh, and that was even a deeper prequel. Was Of course, Smigira was a, a original pupil of Octavia years before, training in some other situation. But that would be a pre-prequel. And so that is where the great, the big finale, of course, of the attraction took place. Still, most of it in the big room of uh, uh, them leaking out stuff. So my gear would pick up on the fact that they were getting ready to assemble Panda Force. Uh, and then Panda Force, uh, actually, because they had, of course, luckily they built more than one panda suit. But some of them were only half-built. Uh, so taking the half-built suits and putting them in the training room to draw in uh, Smigira along with Octavia and uh, trying to say, hey, we're going to fix this. We're going to stop Smigira. Don't worry, everybody. And then Smigira arriving at the base, uh, and, of course, you know, giving a long, drawn-out speech to Octavia and to what Smigira thought were some of the Panda Force uh, suits uh, and the students acting like they were going to rush uh, to the suits. Uh, and, of course, Smigira then... And, and I guess at the time, we didn't, you didn't know, the, like, uh, the first time you ride the ride, you say, oh, no, that's Pink Panda suit's been... or ship has been... You know, Pandabot, whatever you want to call it, has been destroyed. You know, but that was only the shell of the R&D triple backup, so partially assembled. And then assemble Panda Force, Pandera, Pandera, they assembled. And as the ride, it was, first it was in a big room with lots of special effects, uh, was uh, like uh, the Panda Force, uh, first individually and then assembling uh, in the car going past both of their, both Smigir and Panda Force's uh, real effects, uh, giant effects, uh, uh, interlocked in a dance of uh, eternal, you know, tales all this time, and then revealing... Uh, uh, that, you know, Smigira had uh, lost, uh, they said, well, well, we'll figure out a way to clean up the garbage patch. What do you think about that now that we have Panda Force? Uh, it's not just about you, Smigira. It's about cleaning some of this uh, up. 
and that would remove a large portion of your mass. Uh, and so Smagira having to retreat back to the sea and victory, but of course the victory came uh, like where Octavia couldn't enjoy the victory except from far away from a farm bigger, you know, before robotic panda forces could be. And the panda force going to the cities of the archipelago and uh, being a force of inspiration and good, but also saying, hey, we got to work together, all of us humans. Uh, and also a force of projection that, uh, you know, what would set up, uh, you know, it was almost like it, it was, they skipped over the first movie because they had the prequel after the movie, you know, but then that was the first Band of Force movie was, uh, you know, Downfall. And it was, you know, so when it opened, Panda Force was already at a high, which actually made for a better film, of course. Uh, but that's talking about the movie, which you may never be able to see. But you, uh, I think, loved more than one member of the Panda Force because you knew them to be people. And you hadn't experienced these uh, imperfections of people, of... Uh, uh, making choices that uh, aren't always excellent. Uh, you get to ride your bike through the ride. And then, of course, the end of the ride was, uh, you know, Panda Force chasing Smigera. And at first they thought they permanently had busted Smigera, but nothing would hold. Not, that's what Smigera says. At the, they say, we've caught you, Smigera. And Smigera says, nothing will hold Smigera. And Smigera gets away. Uh, and says, I'll return Panda Force uh, one day. And that fateful day is, of course, uh, the, uh, I think, it, I don't know if it was the act, like, uh, I don't know, it's the two, you know, but almost the middle of Panda Force uh, downfall. Uh, but yeah, you spend a lot of time in here and with me, uh, and it was uh, it was nice to have you here. It was nice to see that look, that smile on your face, uh, and to see you attracted to more than one type of panda. Uh, to me, says uh, uh, I don't know that there's. Uh, I could feel the butterflies uh, surrounding your heart, uh, the excitement. Uh, you didn't really have a lot of love for Red Panda or Orange Panda, but uh, it was good, I think, uh, for you to have a crush on a few members of Panda Force and for you to know that uh, they're not just like you, but in some sense they were, and for you to train uh, for what you're training, I don't know. And uh, what is the caretaker? What, what is this? Uh, but I feel like I prepared you uh, physically a little bit and emotionally. Pain force isn't perfect, uh, and you don't need to be. I'm glad you came here, and I'm glad you spent time with me. And you saw that uh, the Panda Force could re respect one another, that they could bond over the fact that uh, they said, yeah, no, no, no. 
I wrote some bad words on uh, someone's paper. And then someone else said, well, I tattled on you for that because I knew you'd get in trouble. Uh, and I said, yeah, what the heck were we thinking? Uh, meanwhile, so we got some gear in the garbage patch out there. We're worried about kids' stuff. And then some say, well, we are just kids. And then how much uh, uh, respect Octavia commanded uh, from all of them and from you, even though she's just a tronic, uh, that you could respect her as an imaginary mentor and a dream of being a member of Panda Force. You even getting in the suits uh, and trying to squeeze. I said, is she trying to squeeze in there? Uh, with Purple Panda, uh, and they, you know, they, 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 we couldn't just pull the uh, Tronics out of the ride, uh, but it was good, and it was good to see you uh, on the bike. Uh, I was embarrassed that the Jeeps weren't working, but I think because uh, you were able to stop and put your kickstand down and spend some time within me. It was nice. Uh, it was nice to have you. Thank you. I want to thank people who support the show on Patreon. Tommy, Ian, Rachel, thanks, thanks, and good night. Meg, Monica, and Christopher, thanks, thanks, and good night. Aaron, Jane, and Colin, thanks, thanks, and good night. Alexis, J, and H, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Kenneth, Chris, uh, and Lauren, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Morgan, Kyrie, and Colleen, thank you, thank you, and good night. Uh, Marak, uh, uh, Julie, and Carl, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, John, Claire, and uh, Susie, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Potty, Hannah, and Amy, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Kenna, Emily, and Josh, uh, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Deborah, Monica, and Jared, thank you, thanks, and good night. Alan, Karen, and Thomas, uh, thank you, thanks, and good night. Alexandra, Aaron, and Sarah, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Josh, uh, Sean, and Eden, uh, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, BG, uh, Jeffrey and Patricia, thanks, thanks, and good night. Eliza, Caitlin, and Wanda, thanks, thanks, and good night. Aaron, Diane, and Felipe, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Kate, Cassandra, and Jaina, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Michael, Nicole, and Daniel, thanks, thanks, and good night. Stephanie, Amy, and Pamela, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Joy, Julia, and Andrew, thanks, thanks, and good night. Erica, E, and Nikki, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Liz, Julia, and Jonathan, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, B, Amaret, and Craig, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Chris, uh, Brittany, and Rom, uh, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Kevin, uh, Diana, and Megan, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Patricia, Stephanie, and Sean, thank you, thanks, and good night. Uh, Paul, Arden, and Mark, uh, thank you, thanks, and good night. 
Uh, Jennifer, Lucy, and Catherine, thanks, thanks, and good night. Kathy, Hallie, and Adrian, thank you, thanks, and good night. Michael, Kelly, and Dan, uh, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Jessica, Matt, and Jarrett, thank you, thanks, and good night. Emily, Sean, and Jennifer, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Adrian, Cara, and Rosie, thanks, thanks, and good night. Chris, Kat, and Louise, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Teresa, uh, Joanne, and Melissa, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, Josh, uh, Jenny, and Ken, uh, thanks, thanks, and good night. Uh, and thanks, thanks everybody uh, for supporting the show. Good night.